0: The Ghost and show with your host Ago Ghost oh, oh,
1: Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend. <laughs> oh, Nigga. Why hello there, welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host Agostino Zynga and this is episode number 708 That's 708 with I, your host Agostino Zynga and this is the Agostino Zynga Show I hope this finds you well I hope this finds you well How am I? All good, I cannot complain All good, I cannot complain I've been going to a gym for the past couple of days which has been pretty, pretty decent I had a really crazy emergency on the way to the gym I did that thing that you do with an iPhone where you don't enter the right passcode in a couple of times and then it puts you on this emergency screen thing and it kind of locks you out the phone for five minutes but then i need to use my phone because my phone had the qr code i need to enter my gym and also need to change my music so i had to basically stand outside you know fiddling away with my thumbs before i could go into the gym Absolutely crazy existential first world level problems, but it was a problem nonetheless. So I did overcome it. I did combat it. I went through. I was brave. I stepped up and I won. Okay. But one thing I did notice, you know, as per usual with life you'd always just notice the kind of ebbs and flows of people. And one thing we do as human beings, we can always say one thing, but usually our actions say the other. I've complained for ions on this pod about the gym I was at previously, which was a ledger center, not really a gym. But I complained about the crappy equipment, about how it always kind of felt like a steam room in there because there was no ventilation and it was just an awful little spot. But the great thing about it is that it was £27 per month and that included all the classes. So you could do swimming, you could do whatever class else they have in there including your gym membership which is absolutely incredible this this gym i go to now is 24 hours but i think it's like 32 pound a month or something like that or maybe i'm not too sure but anyway the legend was great but there came a time when I kind of felt like I outgrew it and I'm not really the type of person that gets motivated by my surroundings I'm pretty self-motivated but I have to be honest I probably was getting a little bit lethargical a little bit lackadaisical a little bit lazy with my workouts because of the previous leg center which is which is, was in such a dilapidated condition so when this newer gym opened up I immediately signed up to it and when I signed up for it I did notice a few people here and there from my previous leisure center popping in there, especially some staff members, funnily enough, who were deciding to, even though they have their PT clients in the other leisure center, they'd come and work out personally in this one that I'm at the moment. But now when I went the other day, I've noticed that a lot more people that I used to see back in the day at the other leisure center I went to have now switched to my gym. So even though people used to say they didn't have an issue with it, They've clearly voted with their feet and they've come to the place I'm at because there is something quite cool about being able to go into a place without needing to talk to anybody, you know, using the QR code and all the equipment is super, super, super high quality there's loads of room you don't have to ask someone for permission to go to a station you know that's something i that always used to annoy me when i went to a gym you just have to kind of communicate with somebody because there's so limited equipment to use you have to go to somebody and say hey i'm using this bench i'm using the squat rack bloody blah, blah 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 and for me when i go to a gym i'm basically going there to kind of focus on myself i don't want to speak to anybody i want to just lock in on my workout and then go home but when you don't have much equipment and it's limited space and limited time, you basically have to cooperate with your part, with your um, local brothers and sisters to get your workout in while you can. So I'm really, really happy about that. Aside from that, I'm still flipping Armin and ring over the flipping Man United result um, against Bayern Munich. I have to be completely honest, it's so annoying. So I might as well do my little match review now of the game itself. Um, I think the scoreline and the result definitely flattered us by Munich 4, Man United 3. I think the result will let you know or would tell you that the game was far closer than what it actually was. But if you actually watched it, you would have felt like Bayern Munich were in second gear, if not third gear, their entire game. And whenever they needed to turn it on, they did. And they usually were a threat on goal. Even though most of their goals came from our mistakes, I still feel like if they were to turn it on, they could. Um, one of the biggest compliments I could pay to Bayern Munich is that Harry Kane hardly touched the ball. He hardly got involved. He was hardly a threat. And essentially the Harry Kane signing for Bayern Munich, it did prove something to me. It proved this theory that I think many people who watch football as much as I do, or maybe watch football more than I do, say the top, top teams don't really need crazy good strikers. Like a Haaland isn't really needed at Man City. You could probably get away with playing, I don't know, Andre Ayu up front for fucking Man City, and they'd probably still win the league, right? You just need someone to score enough goals up front because you've got other players in the team who can contribute, But also the way you play, it's not always focused on that that one person up front. He's not the only saviour. And I think at United... One of the things that makes our players hard to judge is that there's a lot of pressure on them. There's a lot of onus, a lot of focus put on them and their performance. You know, I can speak about Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashman who are blue in the face because they, in my opinion, are a little bit average and they don't really match up to the hype that the fans give them. But there's also a part of me that thinks, you know what, maybe part of the reason is that they've always been the marquee number one player at the club for the last it seems like they have been signed both of these players right maybe Matt Rashford even since he's kind of broken through they've never had the chance to be part of a collective team that you know that they can kind of you know um, spread the burden of responsibility amongst others it's always them and I noticed that with Harry Kane at Bayern Munich so I'm kind of happy that Harry Kane didn't end up at United because if you would have ended up at United and not scored we would have been Effing and blinding all over the place, do you know what I mean? Because we would look to him as the only person to score, as the only one to create chances and stuff. It would have been too much, like a Messiah complex thing. So happy that didn't happen. But regardless... The game didn't start off the greatest. We missed a really early chance that we probably should have scored. I think Ericsson's second chance in the area around two to three minutes was probably a lot easier than Pelestri's chance that was coming into the box. Um, Alfonso Davis got in a really good tackle, which was ironic too, because before the game, Eriksson had said that they were going to focus in on Alfonso Davis's side. That's why Pelestri was playing because they didn't think he's a good defender, which he obviously displayed in droves and also attacking wise it doesn't really matter if you can defend or not if you're always going to outscore teams like by to get the scoring us in this game so i think ericsson should have scored um when the ball then came back out to him he hit straight at the keeper i think that was our chance to kind of take control of the game that didn't happen and then of course we end up making a mistake and onana ends up not saving a pretty Easy meat and potatoes save that he should be making, you know, 10 times out of 10. Leroy Sane basically does a one two outside the box, hits it from about 20 yards, but it's quite central. It's within, you know, um Onana's grasp, and it somehow goes under his arm. I'm not too sure if it hit a divot or something, I don't know what happened, but luckily for us, I don't feel like our heads dropped. I'm not gonna lie. I felt like our heads didn't drop. And I think we realised this Bayern Munich team aren't as dangerous as they were in the past. They're not as formidable. They're not as scary. So if we would have worked our way back into the game, we probably could have got ourselves back into the game pretty quickly, but it didn't happen. Soon after that, um, they then ended up scoring another goal to make it 2-0. Serge Gnabry this time. um, A really good run by Musiala inside the box. Um, Owen Hargreaves was glazing Musiala a bit too much. He played well, don't get me wrong, but... Every time I was looking down at my phone to check Twitter and I heard him saying something about Musiala, it was just him running. I would look up and I was expecting him to be doing some crazy shit and it was just him running. Um, but he was talking about him like he was playing like Ronaldinho incarnated. But he does look really good. He's very mature for his age if he's only 18. Um, the way he receives the ball and a half turn, he kind of reminds me a lot of like, you know, what's his name? Um, Jude Bellingham in that maturity thing. Like the, Even though they're both amazing players, the thing that separates both of them from the rest is that they look like men already when they're playing. They don't make dumb, idiotic, young player decisions on the pitch or inexperienced decisions. They usually, nine times out of ten, make the right pass. They're always looking for a man. They're not greedy like Rashford is and shit. And that's what basically people are impressed by, their overall maturity and their IQ. So Musiala was good. He drives into the box. I thought Dalla did pretty well to keep up with him. I don't think he should have gone in for the tackle. I think other people are thinking differently. But I think he did well to kind of keep up with him and... Um, wait for him in a box but then I think Lindelof and the rest of the defenders they immediately just squared up and put their hands behind the ball behind their back they didn't engage him in the slightest when he stopped and I think that was the main issue he was able to stop look up pick Serge Gnabry and then cut it back and then bang 2-0 before half time so that clearly was the biggest um, wake-up call for us as a team Uh, I think at half time most of us fans including myself were basically saying okay this is going to end up being like you know in the high fives um, and then of course luckily we end up getting a goal straight after half time and that gave us a bit of confidence that we were maybe going to get back into the game but again our lack of composure our lack of maturity our lack of organization Bruno Fernandes no leadership nothing to just settle our nerves down after the good goal from Rasmus Hoyland bit of a deflection there but I think he deserved that goal for the running that he did a um, little concern with Rasmus Hoyland is that I feel like as much as he's a willing runner he doesn't really make a lot of intelligent runs. Um, he seems to run into spaces, but he's not running into, he's not kind of, I don't know, he, he doesn't, he's not like making little checked runs like a like Vardy at his pump would do. Um, but then again, I think maybe it's because he's so new to the team, no one really knows, you know, what he's up to and whatnot, which is again concerning because you'd imagine if you're going to spend that kind of money on a young player, you should have a plan about how you're going to play him. But at the moment, it doesn't really seem like it. It seems like Rasha does his thing pleasure does his thing and then you know Hoyland has just feeding the scraps so the fact that Hoyland is feeding or Hoyland is feeding on scraps and he's doing what he's doing give him props so he deserved that goal so well done for him he gets a goal and then you think we're going to settle down and maybe get another one to draw but we don't Um, We, again, let the game kind of drive by. We pull out tackles. We're just being crazy and just leaving too much space on the pitch, which I didn't like again. I feel like there was way too much space on that pitch. I don't know why it always looks like our team is completely spread out all over it. There's no real compactness to us. Our defenders always look exposed. Our midfielders always look rushed. Everything just doesn't look well organised. I'm not really sure whose fault that is, but that's the main problem. And what I noticed was that Casemiro was getting caught alone being the one and only screen in front of the back four ericsson i don't know where he was but casemiro was getting exposed a lot and it kind of made him look worse than probably he was he played uh, because he had to run around and sort of put out various fires and play catch up but he still managed to score two goals you know that's the crazy thing about this game it didn't really make any sense because i don't think casemiro played too well but he still managed to score two goals so anyway um they didn't get a penalty Handball was very dubious, like weird handball. Um, They're in the box. and I think someone heads it down. It hits Ericsson's arm, but he's literally like right in front of the player. Odd freak, odd penalty, but it happens as Europe call. Kane slots it in. You don't even expect um, Onana to save it. It's now 3-1. And you're expecting a bit of a routing. And then out of the blue, we end up scoring a goal to make it 3-2. Casemiro kind of scuffs it in or scums it in. And then again, you think you were going to hold on, but then again, you know, by Munich show their quality. They bring on Matt, um, Matthias Tell and he ends up scoring a pretty decent volley in the box after controlling on his knee and then Casemiro gets a final goal at the end. So, uh, you know, the result didn't seem too bad, but performance wasn't the greatest. No cohesion, no real big leadership. The control in the midfield is really stinky. I'm not really liking the partnership of Lindelof and Martinez. I think one person... I don't think they both engage well. This is something I'm going to say is really odd. I think as great as Martinez is on the front foot and aggressive as he is, I really don't think he engages well. He kind of needs somebody a bit steady next to him to kind of maybe make him look better. I'm not too sure. It's a bit odd. Maybe he's going through a hard time. Lindelof, we know what he's like. He just doesn't like a tackle. He's not someone that's going to be in there, like wanting to do a dogged fight. He seems to get his, he seems to get ragdoll a lot, or he's spinning a lot, or he looks lost. So I'm not really too fond of that. I thought Regulon again was one of our better players. He's been maybe the man that matched for us two games in a row. Um, he looks like he's coming in, wanting to earn a contract and wanting to stay at the club permanently. So respect to him for that. But it's just refreshing to see us have a left back that's running up and down the line. Right, that's overlapping, that is available further down the pitch across the ball, in, and seems to be willing to do it. And again, his fitness levels aren't going to last all game because he's just excited to be there now. I'm sure he'll level out. But it's refreshing. It's a complete difference from, like, Luke Shaw, who's always cutting the ball back, who's always squaring the ball, who always looks slow, who just doesn't look like he wants to attack or wants to run, you know, up, go up and down that line. So, and obviously, Malachi probably doesn't have the best quality when it comes to attack, but he's a willing runner. So, Reguilón has been a breath of fresh air and someone I didn't really rate or want, but credit to him for smashing it. Um, And in Onana, I'm going to say I feel kind of bad for him. I don't think any of us ever thought he was going to be an amazing shot stopper. Um, so I don't think anybody kind of freaking out and thinking, you know, why is he not saving stuff like David de Gea? Should we probably get their head tested? But the thing that's really concerning me about Onano is most so how we play. We, we bought him specifically because of how good he is with the ball at his feet, which he's demonstrated. But we're not really using it to our, you know, advantage. We, I've not really seen a ball yet to Rasmus Hoyland from Onana straight through the middle run him running onto it because I think he'd be good at that right he's done that before at atalanta so that's a concerning. Um, there's no real composure or t- really high-level technical ability on the ball from any of our quartet or midfielders that are kind of fought, you know, in front of him. So when he's passing the ball out, it kind of feels like he has a rush to get to these guys, whereas before, you'd imagine if you're playing with a goalkeeper who can play the ball at their feet, you can pass the ball at your leisure to the people in midfield because everybody's comfortable with It doesn't really happen. So because we're not using him to his advantage or to his skill set, we're now focusing in on the thing that he's not the best at, which is shot stopping. And there are some shots that go in for us when you watch them on a the replay, you're like, oh, David De Gea would have definitely saved that, right? They're like shots that a good goalkeeper, a high level goalkeeper saves, but maybe one that plays with the ball at their feet more often doesn't. But I also think, unfortunately for Onana, this newer era of goalkeepers that exist now, they have the whole package, right? They can save like David De Gea and they can play with the ball at their feet like Edison, So he kind of is looking a bit stinky because of that. So maybe a lot of the coaching staff need to take a look at their heads and wonder why they didn't sign another goalkeeper like the Diogo guy, the Diogo, um, is it Diogo Carlos? I forgot his name and the, the Portuguese goalkeeper he might have been a good option of maybe a few others I'm not too sure maybe that's why we signed that Turkish guy um, to kind of be second fiddle who knows but that's a little bit concerning but then when he came out after the game and gave an interview or specifically requested to speak to CBS I think I think that told us everything about his mentality so I'm not really worried about his mental state and whatnot. I think he's going to be fine from now on I just don't want to see those mistakes happening too often um, but then again like I said the team is playing so badly right now you can never just pin it on one player there are no scapegoats It's everybody but the two main leaders in Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes they're the ones that are really concerning me because you look at how um you look at how flipping Odegaard performed for Arsenal the other day against PSV and you think about the fact that they both have the same number number eight so they're both captains of their team and you think about how Bruno Fernandes has spoken about in the media and how people lord on his lord over his goals and assists and his stats. And then you see about how quietly, you know, Odegaard goes about doing his job, it makes you wonder like, is Rashford is Bruno Fernandez actually better than Odegaard? I don't think so personally. I never have thought so. And I think Bruno Fernandez might be a bit of a stat padder. He might have been one of those people who legitimately has, you know, increase his profile mostly based on his goals and assists but when you actually watch him against top level opponents he's not that good he doesn't influence games he doesn't impact games he doesn't take control of games in the slightest and if anything all he does is provide moments and I think Rashford and Bruno Fernandes are those kind of players and I think personally for myself I would much rather see a team I would much rather see a scenario where Eric Ten Hag decides to drop one or either of those guys at the moment we have two players on our team that cannot get dropped and I think that's a not a good way to go about things when we're already struggling maybe you can carry one player who's a moments player like as we did maybe with Ronaldo back in the day but I don't think you can do that with two you can't have two players on the pitch who you have to carry who aren't going to track back who aren't going to work as hard but they might have moments because if that's the case you know why are you requesting Sancho to apologize to you because it's clear that that's part of the reason why he's probably pissed off he probably thinks he's training well or if he doesn't think he's training well, he's probably thinking, what's the point of me training well if you're always going to pick Anthony, if you're always going to play Rashford, if you're never going to sub them off early enough for me to impact the game. Even if I score a hat-trick, I'll be on the bench again next game. That's the issue I'm having. Um, Erickson Haag's refusal to think of options for those two. And now people say, oh, there's no options on the bench. Yes, there are. You select players on the bench because you want to play them. I don't care if it's Hannibal playing there, if it's fucking daniel gore i do not care you put them on the bench for a reason so play them that's the thing and if you don't trust these players go and sign better ones as options but i don't believe in this oh because they're the only ones available just play them because i personally do think that just play the best players who are available despite their form has negatively impacted the um the vibe in the changing room because I've played at least Sunday league level, it's nothing close to professional football, but I know when you play Sunday league level and there's favourites, it does negatively impact the dressing room because people know it doesn't matter how hard they go in training on Wednesdays, or it doesn't matter how good they play when they come on a sub, the manager's favourite, the uncle, the son, whoever this guy is related to the coach, they're always going to play. And that's not the right way to go about things in my personal, uh, humble opinion. And I'd much rather see us try other solutions. And the other thing for me as well is Eriksen Hogg has to be careful because I don't want him to get fired personally even though I don't rate him as a coach I think he basically you know is a bit of a catfish he sold us one thing when he was at Ajax and he comes into United and it's completely different I still think if if Ericsson Hogg gets sacked before the owners leave it's going to excuse the players again who I think are the major culprits at this club after that interview with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the week with the Atlantic it's clear to see that that club is toxic and the players have way too much power they have way too much influence on getting rid of the managers. And for me, even though some of the managers deserve to leave, I think these players are in no position to dictate anything or any terms to anybody. So the fact that they are is stinky. And we need to get rid of those players first. But usually clubs don't do that because it's more expensive to cancel contracts with players and get rid of them than it is to sack of one manager. So that's why, selfishly, I want and Hark to figure it out so that when we do get a takeover and you know every time maybe eventually has to leave it still means if we get a takeover and these players stay and he stays most likely these players will get sold you know because he will definitely be in- encouraged to just make some sweeping changes and get rid of the players that he doesn't want and then start again and rebuild the club in his image cool no problem but i don't want him to give the players an excuse so please for the love of god eric Ten figure it the fuck out figure out some solutions to get this team working maybe change the formation maybe this four-two-three-one thing isn't working maybe try something else um especially with the players you have available um because he's already complaining that, he, that he's never had to play his full starting 11 but injuries happen in football it is what it is you have to figure out solutions especially at this level you can't be you don't automatically get given grace you have to earn that grace at the moment Aton harg isn't owning it so you know all in all Um, Terrible result, terrible performance way more questions and answers and if anything it just kind of highlights how far we are again from the top teams because we're most likely going to end up bottom if not near bottom of our fucking group um and you're wondering then what's the point of us even qualifying for the champions league when we're not really going to pull up any trees you know it's going to be a pretty crazy and embarrassing time when we go to these other stadiums or these other grounds we face in Copenhagen and we realize just how far away we are and we end up in a Europa League again which i absolutely abhor so continuing on from that we also got some other news uh, again onana gave an interview after the game basically owning up to his mistakes saying it's the one the worst um games he's ever played so that obviously tells me the mentality is good from him he takes accountability he takes ownership he takes responsibility so i don't have any concerns um it's the complete opposite of harry maguire complete opposite of Bruno fernandez at times and I'm glad to hear him say that because, yes, it was um a horrible group of mistakes and stuff and bad performance. But I don't think that we lost because it was his fault. I think in general, we're just not playing well enough um, to ever trouble a team like Bayern Munich. But anyway, he said to TNT Sport. It's difficult to lose this way as we started very good, but after my mistake, we lost control of the game. It's a difficult situation for us and me as I let the team down. The team was already was really good, but it was because of me we didn't win this. I don't think we were really good. I think we were still in the game, don't get me wrong. We had the chance in the beginning, but I don't think we played really good. Um, I think Bayern Munich gave us a lot of opportunities to score because they just don't care about defending, and I think that Mancano is essentially their version of Harry Maguire like he's terrible he's very rash he kind of he's even worse than Eric Bailly to be fair in terms of how rash he is um so they were giving away loads of stuff and I think even their left back I forgot who it's name what's their what's their left back called the guy that was playing left back was also making a lot of errors sorry the right back sorry um Lima like it wasn't a good it wasn't a good um, team from them to be fair so uh, I wouldn't say we played amazing um, he continues and says, oh, no, no, I'm happy for the work of the team, but we have to move on, and that is the life of a goalkeeper. We didn't win today because of me. There's a first shot on target. I made a mistake, so the team went down because of the mistake. I have to learn, be strong, and move on. Although um, it's not an easy situation, I'm happy for the comeback of the team. We're fighting until the end. So good to hear him saying, own up, that sort of stuff. But I need, I need just to see on the pitch. I hope this doesn't be a num." Norm- a constant occasion do you know what I mean Um, one more thing he says I have a lot to prove my start in Manchester has not been good or how I want the the way I played today was one of my worst games it's difficult as we're a big club who wants to win everything it was a good opportunity to bounce back but after the situation we are facing it's a tough time we have to be together and continue to work so let's, let's wait and see. Um, it's not looking encouraging. The rumours about black goalkeepers are going to continue with Andre Onana, and to be honest. Um, it's one of those things you just have to kind of, you know, own up and hold your hands up and say maybe the scouting wasn't the greatest on this one. But I still think we are putting too much onus on his goalkeeping. He was never going to be David De Gea in goal. He was never a brilliant shot stopper. The thing that we brought him in for was his ability to play with the ball at his feet. And now... We're not using him for that, which is why we're seeing what we're seeing. And he's being relied upon as a normal goalkeeper, which he obviously isn't. He's definitely, um, is kind of hurting us in that regard. So let's see how it plays out. I'm rooting for the kid and I hope it works out for us in some way, shape or form going forward. Then I saw this article, right? That was really funny because I've been thinking about this a lot lately, just based on some Instagram accounts that I follow and some of my old accounts and stuff. And I was really admiring Gen Z and their disregard um for the establishment. They really don't give a fuck. They really rate themselves, they gas themselves up, they're not out here, you know, idolizing brands like I used to do, like with Supreme and Bape and shit, they're wanting to work at Nike, all these cool stuff. They would rather make a brand then then have that brand collaborate with nike and have nike be one of their clients and stuff right they don't really care about being the nike energy marketing manager like i did once upon a time they don't care about working at supreme they don't care about working at Bape. they don't care about working at adidas or yeezy all this all these kind of illustrious positions balenciaga recurrence they don't give a fuck they'd rather have their own thing collaborate with those people or be known by the people on the inside be invited to certain things that's what they want to do and they really believe themselves in that way but then on the other side of things when it comes to just having regular jobs they're also very much in a position where they don't hold jobs up on a pedestal like i did they're not these precious things that you can never quit don't get me wrong i was somebody that was always very steadfast in that if a job didn't match my you know expectations or the there was something dodgy going on especially with money or maybe with kpis or moving you know or the or the goalposts kept moving on what was expected of me or whatever I would just leave. I wouldn't want to stay at a place just because I was afraid of not getting another job. Because I always believed in you know, in a land of plenty for and not really being one of those type of dudes that I live in a poverty or, you know, mindset and anything. So when I saw this headline, um courtesy of the Huffington Post that says Gen Z are quitting jobs that don't align with their values, it made me laugh and, and kind of aligned with the things that I've been thinking about. And it's definitely something that I admire from the Gen Z generation in that You know, if it doesn't match their values, if it doesn't vibe with them, they're off. There's no just staying for the sake of it, which means employers now will have to do more to keep their employees because they know if they employ a kid in a particular age range, they're not gonna take no shit. They have to make sure they're you know, the work life balance is good, the fucking sense of ownership is good, the culture is good, everything is good because if it's not, they're gonna be on their way. So let's read the article here. Following the Great Recession Sorry, following the Great Resignation. Oh, exactly. It's not a recession. The Great Resignation, where record numbers of employees globally quit their jobs and quiet quitting. Um, a name given for a trend where employees over time actively choose not to go to them above and beyond their workplace. It's perhaps no surprise that Gen Z and millennials don't quite have the same unshakable loyalty. According to a new research conducted by the Census-wide in collaboration with professional social media website LinkedIn, six in 10 employees have said that they would not work um, for a company that didn't share their values. And 53% of those, even a pay rise wouldn't be enough. That's amazing, isn't it? That again, is cool to see because it puts the onus back again on the employers to provide a worthy enough reason for you to join their company and not be a thing where you're always dancing to their tune, which creates a weird balance. Or a weird imbalance. In fact, a fifth of professionals are, are currently considering leaving their jobs, and 60% are leaving specifically for companies that align with their professional or personal values. Sorry. Their values include work life balance, 60% opportunities for career growth, and diversity, equity, and inclusion um, a global phenomenon. This data, based on 2060, 2,065 workers aged between 18 and 24, aligns perfectly with the current job listing on linkedin every entry-level job that reference culture and values have increased by 154 percent over the past two years and jobs that reference work-life balance increasing by 65 percent more basically when it comes to workplace it's more than just a job to many professionals 90 percent of gen z and millennials have considered or considered leaving their workplace for one of which more aligns with their values But that isn't the same as what I said before, because before I made the point on my stream that a big red flag is if a company says we're a family. We're like a family here. We're all friends here. That's usually a big red flag. That usually is an indication that 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 family stuff is like a a cape, a shield that they use, a cloak to kind of cover up all the nonsense day-to-day work things they don't get right. Because if your values are aligned, if you make people feel empowered, right, and motivated in what they do, then the family friendship side of things will come. But when they kind of lead with that, it really is a bit fishy and really makes me feel a bit uneasy, Um, which is a complete different than, you know, saying that all the stuff they're saying here. This is the contrast of 79% of the Gen X and 74% of baby boomers. But these numbers do suggest that it is not a trend sophie elbone 29 left her job at a marketing agency in fenestration industry due to a mismatch in values the quote my previous company was churning out the same content for each client actions didn't sit right with me and i wanted more creativity in my work so imagine that this girl is quitting her marketing job because it's not creative enough it's not giving her license to try new things it's the same old same old deliverables for the clients back in my day you would never do that you would just keep churning that shit out um collect your money and maybe use that shitty stuff that you've got or that the shitty experience that you've had to leverage for another job yeah i mean that's what we did back in the day you do that so or maybe you just stay because the money's easy that also it continues um this is a quote when looking for new roles i like to find out more about the company culture and what they stand for as opposed to location experience which i feel are becoming less important factors oh ah that's something that i pay mine a lot i think i probably look at the job the money and then look no the job the location then the money weirdly enough yeah i think that's how i go in priorities so if your job is what i want to do and it matches up to my skill set and it you know and i can obviously um do what's required and maybe it can kind of push me in some direction cool fulfilling and then obviously location because i don't want to travel to southwest london or northwest london um, learning a whole new fucking route or whatever it's just annoying and then the pay which is odd but it does kind of speak to my personality of being a little bit more lifestyle obsessed as opposed to money materialism obsessed i want to have i wouldn't say creature comforts but i want to I'm i'm all about the lifestyle you know more so than the money and um, with everything that's going on in the world the quote says i think you need to work for a company that aligns with your values i'm much more happy at my current company i'm fulfilled encouraged motivated to be the best employee i can be and that's true and that kind of speaks to the rise in gay parties and stuff that i'm going to which is a weird segue but all these lgbtq queer events and gay events that i've been going to that i've been saying oh my god these are some of the best parties ever the reason why they're the best parties ever is because all those people from that community are focusing all their efforts on those parties only they're not worried about going to the normal normie parties in e1 or whatever they may be called or fold or maybe fabric or whatever they're focusing on their events only and they're trying to make those events amazing which then attracts the people from that community only so if you go to that gay only event queer only event or queer lead or whatever event it is and you have a great time why would you waste your time going to a normal event um that you're not going to enjoy it makes no sense does it so i get where that's coming from um, rather have a place that you're aligned with and it makes you feel motivated and just go to some random spot um, let's continue here last bit to help job seekers linkedin has introduced a new job filter that enables users to search for job opportunities based on the values that matter most of them they can also learn about companies values on linkedin company page but to be fair keep this in mind if you are looking for a job don't go by these value filters on LinkedIn. A lot of that stuff you can find easily by looking on Glassdoor, even looking on Google and checking the reviews on there because sometimes employees, um, especially disgruntled ones, will leave like cheeky reviews on there. You can find some information and reviews on Facebook and stuff. Make a dummy account and check those things. But Glassdoor newsplaces these places will be a good option to kind of check and see because if people have had a bad time, there are some times where you're unlucky, where people have had such a horrible time they just leave and don't even write anything on these websites right they don't want to remember it again but usually if it's that horrible if it's that bad, they will go out their way to write a review and you can see it. And then you can make your mind up based on what you see on that review. So always keep those things in mind and never just go running and rushing into things um, like I said before. But yeah, um, big up Generation Z for being Generation Quit. Big up them for taking those shit. As you can see here, right? This headline Generation Quit and then this other headline here from this article, which is titled, I don't dream of working for the rest of my life. A Gen Z woman quit her corporate job and said that she's happier struggling which is pretty grim in it to think that, but it probably is the reality of the events that's happening now at the moment. Gen Zer
0: in their first internship can't fathom working for the rest of their life. The original creator turned his stitches off for some reason, even though he asked a question, but I think we need to talk about this because I am a Gen Zer who got her first like corporate in-office adult nine to five job this year. And I was actually really excited about it because it was a marketing position in a healthcare company. So I thought it was going to be really great. And I get that the company itself ended up being like horribly toxic. But I also made the decision within only four months of working there that if I had to do this like corporate drone thing for the rest of my life, because I did the math, you couldn't retire in this economy. I just like would rather clock out eternally. Like there were people in their 40s at the company making the same amount of money as me, like still in the same struggling to get by position. And I was like, is this, this is it? This is life? Because I would rather just like, out right now. I tried to keep pushing through with blind optimism, but it was like so soul crushing that nine months in, I just had to wake up and be like, hey, is this the life you want to keep living? And the answer was like, no, I don't want to do this. So I had to leave for my own health reasons, ironically. And I've sadly been happier doing odd jobs here and there, struggling to pay bills and just living life and having fun. And everyone keeps asking, like, what's your plan? What are you going to do? I don't know what the plan is, but I know if I have to go back to that corporate in-office 9 to 5, like, I won't be alive a year from that date. So say whatever you want about Gen Z, but we're just finally putting our foot down about this corporate lifestyle where you waste most of your life sitting in an office doing little to nothing. I would rather just get my work done on my time and then get to go live my life. Gen Z to their core takes the motto, work to live, do not live to work very seriously. And if corporations don't start understanding that, like it's just going to keep getting worse for everybody.
1: Now, as much as I agree with her, it's a little bit of an entitled position to come from, um, especially when you've had no credit in the bank to kind of, you know, have this sort of position. But I do admire the balls that they have to have these basically of views and POVs right cool whatever it is what it is but I think you have to be careful you have to really consider what you like and what drives you like for me I'm more of a lifestyle person so I'm similar to this lady where I would prefer to uh, work odd jobs making less money but gives me options to do more of the things I like to do on the side or things I'm passionate about than working a boring corporate job, earning a decent amount of money, but I'm having to be there Monday to Friday, nine to five. That would be so crushing for me in the long term. But you also have to be aware of who you are as a person. There are some people who are motivated by money. You want to have nice things. You want to go to nice places. You want to wear nice things. You want to eat nice things. So if that's the case, you're going to have to give up a bit of something you have to give up a bit of your lifestyle a bit of your social life a bit of your free time to earn that money to do the things that you enjoy doing like going on summer holidays like vacationing in amazing places like buying fancy bags whatever you like to do it doesn't matter I'm not judging you you have to be okay with giving up something in order to get those monies and those zeros and those commas in your bank account whatever option that you choose stick with that and go with it if you want to choose the option that i have there also has to be a reality check of that lifestyle of bouncing around from job to job is maybe not the most sustainable and mentally healthy thing also going it's not also the mentally it's, yeah, it's not also the best thing for your mental going forward if you're bouncing around from job to job and doing little side gig to side gig. Sometimes having a bit of stability in your life is important because I found in my life with all the creative and extracurricular stuff I do on the outside, sometimes having a stable, even if it's a short term job of six months, nine to five, can actually make me more creative because I have less time to fuck around. I have a limited amount of free time. So I have to use that free time to do the thing that I need to do, whether it's record a mix, whether it's write a new blog post, whether it's take some pictures, whether it's stream, whether it's record, whether it's do some art, whatever it may be, I have to use that time wisely because I'm not going to get it back again. So those constraints, those sort of like guardrails can actually lead to some really amazing creative work. So keep that in mind. But you also have to be aware of your job that you're in in the uk in london specifically my main experience is in like online customer services and social media management community management and marketing most of those jobs in my opinion from what i've been seeing online there's not a lot of them available and if there are a lot of them available what's happened I felt like since everybody you know since there's been a lot of companies kind of going under like the previous one that I was at and a lot of companies basically moving on to other things they are basically streamlining their team right they're cutting off the fat so I've seen a lot of companies do this thing where especially in the divisions I was working in in customer service and marketing they would usually get the head to do a lot of the jobs that they would siphon off to different assistants and executives so nowadays the role that I was doing being a social media manager has now been absorbed into being just the overall marketing manager so marketing manager doesn't market doesn't manage a team of marketing executives they now are responsible for leading paid marketing on social and also doing you know organic marketing and social media management on social channels as well so you have to be wary so if, if there's a kind of lack in your job there's not a lot of them available and it's a really hard time to get one maybe keep hold of your one while you have it because out there it's not as chirpy as you think it is if your job is in demand then of course you can jump around and assess your options and shit but it's not always as black and white as oh i feel uncomfortable this isn't for me i'm gonna leave sometimes as well i feel like being able to um being able to kind of take abuse at jobs and build some level of grit and resilience is also important for your future even if you don't stay for long but being able to stay past the time that you wake up and be like oh I don't want to go anymore can actually help you to actually see and recognize what good jobs are and what bad jobs are because sometimes you can have a job where one person just pisses you off That doesn't mean it's a bad job. It just means you don't like the person you work with. But you can be mature enough to just still turn up, do your job and just avoid that person. Um, And sometimes you might be in a place where it's so toxic um, that it teaches you how to see that from afar so that you'd recognize it. Because nowadays I've interviewed so often, I've had so many jobs that now I think I can tell if a job is suspect from the first email I get back from the founder or whoever's doing the hiring thing i can already tell from the first time i walk into the office if there's something going on it's not hard to kind of read that sort of stuff so um the more you kind of stay in these places you gain experiences um you talk to more people and shit the more you're going to be able to make the right decision but still that being said I really do admire Gen Z's um, refusal to accept um, the bare minimum and to always go for the most. And I also admire, like I said, their ability to just not care about the things that we cared about when I was coming up, about being in certain companies, working in certain studios and whatnot, working under certain leaders, working under certain designers and creatives. They're like, "Nah, I am the guy. There's guys and girls walking around in that crew of gen z kids who think they're just as good as Margella, just as good as galliano just as good as fucking um, jw anderson rick Owens, all these guys they think they're amazing because they take pictures because they style because they make you know beads or necklaces whatever they do they really believe in their shit and they would much rather make a jewelry brand that's going to get stocked into Dover street market than try and work there as a sales assistant you know and hope that they would work their way up like we did back in the day that's what we that was most of our dream work retail get noticed then work way up into the head office and then go from there when really those guys and girls are like nah i'm gonna set up my own little studio i'm gonna set up my own little vintage shop and i'm gonna be the guy i'm gonna be the person people come to so credit to them for having that confidence because that is going to hold them in good stead when the earth does get a bit shaky when the earth does get a little bit shaky moving on from that quickly went to touch upon the Burberry spring 2024 collection um that happened recently right um show here in London Fashion Week that happened what a couple of days ago I think and um I don't know off the first rip I have to say I'm a little bit underwhelmed I think it's clear to see personally for me that you know, as great as Daniel Lee is as a, as a designer, as a creative, he definitely needed help to create that original Bottega Veneta that we saw on the runways, right? That original Bottega Veneta that first appeared on the runway, what was it, 2017 or something? Let's actually see what year it was. Um, I've gone the runway, Vogue runway site now. We see some of the last ones. I've got. Is it 2017, I'm going to say, the first one when he came about? Oh, it wasn't. It was 2019. Oh, wow. Okay, my bad. It was 2019. It wasn't that far away. It was, a, it was a very short run, but a very um, eventful run. So when we first saw um, Daniel Lee, I think on a runway, maybe this was some pre-fall here, but the first time he actually made a big mark, that's when the lug boots debuted, which was for 2019 ready to wear. It's clear to me to see, since we've seen what we see now at Burberry, that he needed the help. Whether it was um, Matteo Blasi, whether it was other people in the team, they definitely added to the fucking amazing debut that he did at Porteo Veneta. It wasn't all him because we've now seen when he's left to his own devices, right? When he's just there by himself, this guy isn't that great. This Daniel Lee guy isn't that great because that first Burberry collection, I think, was a good place to start. But now the second collection is down on the runway and I just felt like I just saw a mass of fabric just like waddling down the catwalk. I didn't really see anything interesting. Um, it felt very forgettable. And considering the prices that we've seen so far um, debuting on the site of the first drop, it's all going to be incredibly overpriced for what it is. And like I said, it just none of it felt interesting. That print that is featured here on look number five is hideous. If a streetwear person did it, Vanessa Friedman and people like that will be spitting feathers right it's fucking trash, really, really is trash. um Some of the styling bits on the show were really odd. I would, what I'm gonna read a review to find out, but I don't really know why a lot of the styling bits and pieces, like the jackets and the shirts, were kind of unbuttoned and then hanging off of the models. I'm not too sure if that was like a styling thing or the clips in the back kind of fell off. I don't know, like this look on look number 12, it is very slouched, very all over the place. It just didn't look that great, um, to be honest. Not the slouchy bit, just the fact that it just didn't look good to my eyes when I was looking at it personally, and I didn't really see any standout looks. I'm not gonna be honest. Um, again, this print, this chain print is awful look number 18 absolutely hate it and um there was nothing really that interesting that i saw that i was like okay wow um or maybe a standout piece that i think everybody's going to be gagging over maybe some bags maybe the shades i don't really know but very very forgettable and if i think if anything like this look number 29 come on man that could be easily zara that could be easily zara that's so high street that thing there number 29 so if i'm ragging on Skepta, i think burberry deserves the same amount of smoke and um yeah if anything it kind of summed up a very lackluster london fashion week to be fair it wasn't that great it felt a little bit flat um there wasn't many interesting shows really that i thought were standing out um again look number 22 i'm not really too sure what this styling idea was to have the coat you know he's wearing the trench and it's basically hanging off his shoulders obviously showing off the gun so big up him but it's just i don't know what's the point of this look it's just awful maybe that look there number 31 is pretty cool i like that with this almost um cheetah style print on the shirt i thought look number 34 was really nice as well Um, this model rocks it amazingly interesting to see the amount of black people walking on a catwalk for Burberry and black people on the front row considering um the alleged incident that went down at Bottega Veneta where Daniel Lee was fired from because he called some girl a flipping n-word in the flipping meeting allegedly who knows if that's true but it's just funny to see how quickly people have forgotten about it he hasn't been really raked over no coals there hasn't been an op-ed about it he's not really been grilled on it he didn't have to go on um the cutting room floor and have like a forgiveness interview he just got forgiven right the ministry just moved on fucking wild isn't it the thing that you can get away with when you're white bro fucking hell um (laughs) anyway yeah this stuff is just mad like this is giving congolese uncle number 38 like just really terrible for me in my personal opinion i didn't like any of it i thought it was fairly shitty and very very forgettable like come on bro look number 50 like come on come on man Come on, please tell me this floral stuff, like all this stuff, looks really, really bad. And that's how he ended the show with—a guy walking down topless, wearing a belt with the Burberry emblem, I think, and some baggy trousers. I don't really know what Daniel is going on about. Um, I think he's ending the same way as like Nicholas Ghesquiere and Ricardo Tisci. I wonder why that happens. Some designers just start off amazingly, and then they just kind of, you know, the fire extinguishes itself over time. I'm not really sure what happens is it because they rinse all of their amazing ideas you know they blow it's like they blow their load on one collection right back in the day it's your basically your um uh it's basically your greatest work right it's your life's work because you've been working all your life up until this moment to do that exact thing and then after the fact, maybe you've got nothing else left in the in the flipping you know in your creative um you know box to kind of draw from. Or it could be the truth is that fashion is more of a collective and a team thing. So as much as fashion likes to lionize and idealize the designer, it's actually about the team, the collective. And if you get the team correct, you can make some real magic. But if one or two people leave, sometimes the magic goes it goes with them and you can never recreate it especially if daniel lee is meant to be a tyrant which i'm going to mention as well the article that um, from new york times that features mateo blasi where he basically speaks about his time and it basically in roundabout terms says you know daniel lee was a bit of a tyrant to work for so maybe because of that time a lot of the good people that he was working with previously didn't you know join him or leave bottega to join him at you know, to join about Burberry and I was struggling to find people or maybe the turnover is high at Burberry also. I don't know. But how can you go from designing this collection, right? Um, the full twenty nineteen ready to wear for Pateka Veneta this absolute Crazy collection that essentially launched Daniel Lee's career and changed the trajectory and the silhouettes and the aesthetic of men's fashion for a very brief period at that time. Those lug boots did so much damage. I've never seen a boot in my area be so popular so quickly, and I don't live in a very trendy part of London, so I knew this thing was really hitting really hard. And this was before even fakes dropped. Now there's a lot of fakes on AliExpress and shit, but back when you couldn't get fakes, I saw so many people wearing these fucking lug boots. It was absolutely crazy crazy so how can you go from designing this in 2019 very forward thinking uh very kind of trend setting just modern fresh new and then suddenly you're doing all of that shit that i showed you on the Burberry thing? like how is that possible like what is this how why is how does that happen i don't know let's read the review here um is it the same person reviewing is it nicole phillips as well or somebody else no sarah moa what's sarah moa saying um there was a nice, relaxed family gathering of the vibe under the tent Daniel Lee pitched in the park of Highbury Fields for a second Burberry show. The quote, I thought it's good to take people to places they don't necessarily go to outside the obvious tourist bits. He should have took them to Wood Green. <laughs> That's what he should have took it. He should have put the show in Wood Green. So you get putting it in fucking highbury fields go to fucking wood green <laughs> outside the cinema and do the, sh- do the show there because london is ultimately made up of neighborhoods he says um outside the leafy local venue there was a very english food van dispensing eclair those are eccles cakes and guinness bread and cups of tea bruv very white in it guinness bread a taste of cheerful traditional yorkshire hospitality familiar to lee's upbringing in the north of england inside there was a green park benches quilted green horse blankets and camping bottles and friendly um convergence of kind of guests who make a multicultural london and britain what they are uh bah, bah, bah. there were rap. there was um, a front row of people that included kylie minogue uh, rachel weiss um, Naomi Aki Jason Straitman and Mo Farah the good oh I was also DWE as well actually and Kano and stuff and, and Saka so big of them instead they were sitting down chatting smiling and waving um, setting the tone personality and a tone of subliminal messages for the British behemoth of fashion global uh, of a global fashion is what Lee has been working on given the fashion itself is clear and relevant point of view and was obviously a crux of it clarity and crispness are the first impressions we're in a kind of frame of mind of not messing around with the. Trend. French. you see these i wonder if these reviews are payola i read these reviews and they always feel like press releases like what's her opinion on the show like why is she telling us how he felt what the fucking temperature was the look of his lips like what's going on here so in place of last season's um em- 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 enveloping wintry blanket coats here were lean knee length low belted silhouettes for city life were precisely judged asymmetric lapels and minimal epaulets applied across women's wear and men's wear that just sounds like fabric to me sounds like fabric it sounds like buying fabric cutting it and draping it that sounds like horrendous to me um who wants to be in city life with all these fucking bits of fabric flying all over you that are going to get caught on lampposts caught on fucking bike locks caught on bike handlebars caught on fucking prams london is a big city but it's also very very cramped so those big shapes and shit aren't the greatest to maneuver around the city but hey what do i know they march very much in sync with the emerging post-maximalist feeling uh, for chic and easy clothes, the same feeling carried through into the men's tailoring, double-breasted two-piece tonic suits. Lee's overhaul of Burberry branding is impressively smart and increasingly pervasive. Okay, she thinks it's smart and pervasive work in progress. In a luxury market, oversaturated logos, she's taking the opposite tack. So you're you're, you're talking about oversaturated logos, but then you're endorsing this shitty chain thing. Come on, bro! Come on! This stinks like Paola. Um, it started with his taking apart the Burberry Pressum knight on a horseback logo. What looked like bourgeoisie ladylike scarf prints on dresses and men's shirts and coats are usually a com- are actually composed of images of metal carabiner clips in the shape of a knight's horse. Ugh. Lame. So those, to so that print is actually a carabiner that's been made into a shape of a horse let's see if they've got details of this shit because this looks i don't give a fuck okay no details so no one cares uh <laughs> what the hell okay cool um soon people will be reading burberry whenever they see them i don't i just see chain mail um all over print that you see in streetwear. the same thing these fucking editors hate and say should be taken out of fashion because they want to return to tailoring, which means a return to the whiteies, basically. That's a dog whistle. That is the real dog whistle. We want to return to tailoring. Yeah, you want the blacks to get out the front row, innit? You don't want the jamba-smoking marijuana, you know, fucking, you know, fans of whatever to be in the front row, right? You don't want them sitting there in their grills with their big chains and their big booty women's. <laughs> um, Lee had moments, it says here, dedicated english summer flowers and fruit um cascading swarms of blue strawberries blue blown up meadow floor prints meadow flower prints sorry because it's definitely about taking wardrobe codes subverting them and making them feel more like london with a said of a smile well he said it was smile because he's caking and he's having a good life but this collection was pretty garbage pretty boring pretty uneventful and um yeah definitely not moving them a needle um, I think you're gonna see a lot of people wearing Burberry because they got seeded it because I'm sure their seeding marketing program is on point because the front row was kind of crazy I even saw fucking M Honcho so whoever's doing the seeding and whatever over there is doing a good job of plugging Burberry in with people who are quintessentially UK quintessentially London um, it's a bit pandery. don't get me wrong but I understand the sentiment that's where the culture's at that's where the funds at that's where the calls out go for it but make no mistake this clothes are shit I don't see people going and buying Burberry as well as they were doing with Bottega Veneta when that was sick so it looks like everybody you'll see wearing Bottega Veneta sorry or Burberry this Daniel Lee version of Burberry is definitely getting it for free like that's my belief like there's no way you're paying for this shit because this shit is fucking garbage but again what do I know what do I know so we have this really cool interview coach of New York Times regarding Matteo Blasi from Bogotega Veneta, right? The guy that replaced Daniel Lee and who I thought has done a better job than Daniel Lee, especially in the last few years that he was or the last couple of seasons that he was at Bottega Veneta. I thought Daniel Lee was definitely losing steam. And I think so now that we've seen his second collection for Burberry, it's fair to say that Daniel Lee is you know, he's a bit washed. He's kind of gone the same direction as um, Nicolas Gasquier and maybe even Ricardo Tishi in that he's somehow lost whatever sparkle he wants to have at Bottega Veneta. But some people suggest that that sparkle actually came from the team and specifically Matteo Blasi. And that makes sense though, because you see what Matteo Blasi is doing at Bottega Veneta. It's really good. It kind of reminds you of the first couple of seasons of Bottega Veneta. Maybe not as, you know, startling and amazing, but it's still of that similar ilk. And then you imagine the combination of Matteo and or Matthew or Matteo Matthew. You 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 kind of think of the combination between Matthew and Daniel Lee you could imagine how incredible the work is they produced back then but again you know fashion likes to lionize and put people on fucking pedestals and make it seem like they're the only one person that did that thing so they never really gave him credit while he was there only when daniel lee got fired for allegedly calling some woman in a flipping meeting a black bitch or something which is funny because then you look at the burberry fucking front row of his show and it's just full of fucking niggas right everyone's there smiling key wearing their fucking tartan shit But no one's really holding him account or drilling in or asking questions about that accusation that the reason why he got let go from Bottega Bonetta is because he called somebody a racial slur. But hey, who am I to say anything? I don't know jack shit so going back to the article Matteo Blasi is it called Matthew or is it called Matteo I'm not really too sure let's call Mr. Blasi over here on New York Times it says the magician of Milan I want to read this and see what i go on because this might give us an indication on what exactly happened um, over there at Pateka Veneta um, let's see here written by the great and the avarvescent and the hater of street rare Vanessa Friedman at only 30 he was said to be the man behind the renaissance art Magella couture the brand's founding designer left the house a few years later he was ripped to be the secret source in Phoebe Philo's Celine collections. Then he was spotted at Calvin Klein, helping reinvent it under Raf Simons. His name kept popping up in reference to top designer jobs. The quote, you can't keep such a talent under wraps says Susie Menkis until now. In late 2012, Mr. Blasey, now 39, became the creative director of Bottega Veneta. After his previous designer, Daniel Lee, who had reinvented the brand in only three years, departed under a cloud of rumors after about misbehavior and high employee turnover oh that's something i didn't know so it wasn't only that he may allegedly have called that girl a black something in a meeting or somebody in a meeting right there also was an issue of there being high turnover pateca veneta when daniel lee was there so many people came many people left because he might be a cunt for work for who knew who knew somebody that drops racial slurs in meetings could also be a cunt? Who knew? Um, Mr. who had been Lee's number two, inherited not just his headline gig, but a house shrouded in innuendo and the in need of yet another sprinkler of fairy dust. What did he do? He changed the lever into denim, flannel, ribbed cotton and knit and fooled everybody. He pulled the rug out from under the assumptions in the most gracious way and made the everyday into a precious object that only the wearer rarely, sorry, really understood. He created a world where nothing is quite as it seems and populated it with an entire assortment of passers-by. He played sleight of hand out of the hierarchy of taste. Yeah, his stuff is fucking great though, to be fair. You can see why the Daniel Lee that we now have is missing something. And I guess the stuff he's missing is Matteo Blasi or matthew Blasi. i keep saying Matthew. i keep saying mateo it's definitely matthew but we're just going to say mr blasey let's continue here another some another great looks over the seasons from him at potega lately there's been a growing rift in the fashion world between designers that who make content designers who make clothes the content crew considers fashion as a subset of the entertainment and a clothes crew sees fashion as a service i think she's taking a dig again at streetwear vanessa has got a real issue with streetwear and i feel like niggas She's a to chill allegedly i don't know but she's a to relax i feel like she's taking a shot you can do two things at the same time and the other approach isn't bad just because you like you know you all like the content and creating experience and that kind of influences the clothes it doesn't make you less of a designer than somebody that thinks only oh, about the clothes let's relax um the appointment of Pharrell Williams, the creative director of Louis Vuitton, was in many ways the, uh, the, ap- the apotheosis of the content phenomenon in which what matters is a spectacle and how it resonates throughout the world. The garment serves as souvenirs. <laughs> She's calling Lu- Pharrell's Louis Vuitton merch. <laughs> this woman is so disrespectful for streetwear. She fucking hates streetwear, man. And again, I'm, t- I'm going to take it back. I don't think she thinks she even hates niggas. She probably just hates streetwear. And she's a proper fashion head with a capital F. But that's the thing with someone like a Vanessa Friedman. She kind of wants to be liked and pretends to be likable. Whereas a Kathy Horn is just not, right? She's not in the business of trying to be likable, right? She's got that fucking pug face. She's always frowning. She's not here to be your friend. So Vanessa Friedman tries to be your friend wants to be your smiley and whatever but deep down she absolutely hates hoodies she hates t-shirts she hates sneakers right she hates hippity hop playing as a soundtrack in you know runway shows because for some reason runway shows are so loud if you listen to them on youtube and especially if someone's recording them on their phone you can hear the fucking microphones rattling they play the music so loud on fucking runway shows. So if you're one of those editors and whatever, and you generally don't like hip hop, you have to be surrounded by all these guys and girls smelling of fucking marijuana. And then you're in this flipping show where they're blasting chief key for, you know, I don't know, Ye or fucking <laughs> playboy cartoon. You're going to get so annoyed. See, his quote here it says, I do not open the computer for the last six months, Mr. Blasi. I have two, but I don't use them much. I sketch a lot and I talk a lot and I look at books and I have a phone. That probably explains why it's so good, isn't it? I'm <laughs> not gonna lie, right? He's not sat here just like copying and pasting everything he sees on the fucking timeline or in the explore page. Everything's coming from references that you find in books, talking to people, going out, seeing things, watching movies and shit, which a lot of people don't do, myself included there's no wonder the work is so good on the floor below the enormous windows were 16 different piles of paper, each one corresponding to a different collection of project, um, perfume, new store concept of fanzine he with people he admires mostly, uh, most recently the British designer, Hassan Shalayan, um, which involved Mrs. Shalayan playing with a pen and ink and watercolor and glitter to draw pieces from Mr. Blattie's last show on the walls a series of artworks. Mr. Blondie collects first drafts. Um, he started, he said, because that's all he could afford. And he likes the idea that they're the first expression of something. I like that. Um, it's not that I need to have more and more, but two or three times a year, I try to find something that makes me happy to live with. I'd rather have my money on the wall than in the bank. Okay, so similar to like a rapper, right, um, would buy themselves a big chain every time they dropped an album to kind of commemorate that release and to kind of note it. You know, a time in history when you had a certain amount of money, and maybe every year you kind of up the amount you spend on it. So it's cool to kind of look back over your career and look at them through chains. He does it with collections or whatever every two years by buying first drafts of art from, you know, maybe notable or up and coming artists. That's pretty cool, to be fair. You get to invest in somebody. You also get to have the first expression of their art or of their creativity, which is cool. And you also get to invest in something and not have it sit in a bank. So if the banks do kind of implode, you've got all your money on paper, which is kind of wild, right? Especially if you accidentally set fire to your house, like fucking Olivier Roysting and stuff. Um, it continues here. Oh, look at that wristband! Look at that um, bracelet he's got. Lovely. What's that chair? The chair is by Gaetano Pessi from his spring 2023 show it continues here. it says when he likes something marlboro lights he smokes a pack a day fucking hell bro how do you how, how does he stay so fucking slim um uh and he also has a stracciatella a stracciatella which is an ice cream with a tiny shavings of chocolate that he loves so much that he's he a special rug design in the image of his last show i guess i think i've seen these i think i've seen people on instagram and tiktok posts about these things How the fuck does he stay so skinny if he smokes a pack a day and he has one of those um, strata strata chialetas every day? Bloody hell. I wish I could live like that. Gatano Pisky chairs he commissioned for the last show. Before that, he whispers, it's wonderful. The way Raph Simmons, the co-creator director of Prado, who has been Blasi's boss twice, um, has puts it, Matt is a very free in his head. He has no fear of showing anything he believes in creatively. He always had so many ideas. Add latex, kitchen gloves. Um, what about a marching band jacket? Some made completely no sense, and some were so genius. I would say, of course, we're going to do that in the past. Okay, and it says here, in the past, I've been proposed a few beautiful houses. Mister Blasi said, talking about job offers that he got before arriving at Patega. He couldn't name names, only saying that one was very beautiful about craft. One was very commercial, but still about fashion. And one was smaller house that I thought could be reactivated without being passe. Pass but I never felt like it was the right time. I saw a lot of designers taking stuff quickly. And for me, it was important to build something first. I wanted to know my job, know myself. Okay, I like this guy. He's in it for the long haul, isn't it? But I wonder which the, what houses they were. I wonder which ones they were. Mr Blasi grew up in Paris his father is an expert in pre-Columbian art and his mother is a historian and a researcher um, he has an older brother who is an airplane pilot shit family stacked in it <laughs> and twin sister who works in Singapore he has a um, he was a rambunctious child so much so in 13 his parents sent him to a master's school in a French cartoon side um, when they that didn't take they sent him to Pagbourne College a military boarding school in England for a year he said he liked it so he went to military college Fucking you no! Know, you never, you'll never be able to tell from a minute. He thought about going into archaeology, but ended up at Le Cambre a fashion school in Brussels, um, because his mother thought that it could be good for him to have a skill. Um, Julian Dosenz Dosenza, a creative director from Raban, was in his class. Anthony Vaccarello, the creative director of Saint Laurent, was a year above him wow his graduate collection was about claudie hagnier however you pronounce that the first french woman in space who became the minister of science and involved the big fur coats covered in silver fabric mr blanche said i had a lot of fun wow look at him so yeah he looks like he's a pleasure to deal with right so everyone at pateca veneta must have, they must have been they must have breathed a huge sigh of relief when daniel lee got fired and he came in because they must have absolutely loved him he must have been the real pleasure to deal with And the fucking dark cloud that was Daniel Lee is now descended on fucking Burberry. And all we get is fucking fabric and fabric down the fucking runway. It looks horrendous. Anyway, it continues. Mr. Simmons liked the collection so much, he offered Mr. Blasier a job at his namesake label as Men's Day designer. Another designer named Pieter Moulier was already working there, and he and Blasier soon became a couple. Aww. As I met his flipping um boyfriend i guess at the time and um, we did everything together he said go to fabric fairs go to paris four years later however sony's 20 bits of blouse he jumped from our gel artisanal collection and a brand's equivalent couture that's where he began to experiment with the idea of transformation one of a kind of material i could really use my passion digging being curious which comes from his archaeology historian background i'm guessing but he said he was worried that he would be pigeonholed as a conceptionist so he ended up hopscotching to celine when phoebe filer was created director to work on the more commercial pre-collections and from there to calvin klein where he teamed up with miss simmons and mr mulia once again it was bisablazi Said, like high school reunion, it was very romantic. We were going to meet new people, we're going to live in New York. He and Mr. Media rented a weekend place in Connecticut and got the rescue puppy called John John. But then the Trump election happened, and the Calvin collections became less about the American dream and the American nightmare. Somewhat of a dismay of PVH, the conglomerate that owned Calvin Klein, Mr. Leonis in a circle, were fired abruptly after two years. It was hell, Mr. Blasey says. Like when you have to, your boxes on the street, it's something you see in movies, and then you're on the main character (laughs) he thought about leaving fashion instead of ended up in los angeles to help his artist sterling ruby the collection that showed during a petty fuck man all the stuff that i liked i've seen he's had a hand in it shit that collection that we saw from fucking sterling ruby during petty emo he was involved in that makes so much sense in it that's when Daniel Lee, who had been the design director at Celine when Blasi was there, had just been tasked with updating Bottega Veneta, came calling. Uh, though Blasi had reportedly got fed up with Mr. Lee's erratic leadership and resigned following the show in Detroit. Wow. So he was there for that show they did in Detroit, that Motor City show. Wow. So he must have been there also when there was at Bergheim run, right? That last show at Bergheim that was terrible as well the one that infamous one where all the guys went to it during lockdown um virgil abloh was their rip and skepta burner boy crazy bro okay so he'd resigned before and then he got rehired again so he says he yeah, oh cool mr buzzer reportedly got fed up with mr lee's erratic leadership and resigned following a show in detroit he declined to discuss the situation. When Leo Rognon, the chief executive, was looking for Mr. Lee's replacement, it was clear that he had the right person already here. Mr. Blas... Oh, man. Honestly, Vanessa Friedman... Stop hating on streetwear. It's never going to go anywhere. It's here to fucking stay. People like to wear hoodies. People like to wear t-shirts and jeans and shit and sneakers when, you know, and still be into fashion because it's way more um, approachable and easier to wear than the stuff that comes down the runway. It just is what it is. It's going to be here until the end of time. Stop fucking crying about it. The return to tailoring this fucking dog whistle to get rid of blacks and streetwear and shit isn't going to happen. That sub-headline, the anti-Farrell, you know. <sighs> Mr Blasi approached Bottega Vanetta with two goals. First, to challenge himself to make something that was wearable because we are expensive. It should be an investment. Um, timeless is the word in I cannot hear anymore, he says. <laughs> it's more about responsibility to have a designer to offer something that lasts, but also it's not boring. The first thing he did was reduce the size of the design team so that everyone could sit around the same table. I love that idea. Then he involved the craftspeople, the leather workers and the fabric developments in every conversation. Again, he must have been a pleasure to deal with, In innit? Um, he knows everyone's name, says Mr. Rongyong, He listens to everyone. Um, he brought a new mood to the studio. <laughs> Daniel Lee was definitely a dark cloud. <laughs> I would love to hear what some people that work at Burberry right now with Daniel Lee have to say because it seems like he is the problem. But again, when you're white, how many second chances do you get? Can you imagine a black designer getting away with that kind of behavior? Right? like forcing one of the most talented up-and-coming designers in the industry to 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 quit because you're such a fucking horrible boss and it not impacting your ability to get another job you still get another one even though there's rumors of you saying a racial slur in a meeting Zabazi believes the products that serve a function like the andomium bag a practical touch style that Mr. Rognon said has become Bottega's best-selling item really let's see what that looks like i don't remember that one is that the one that kind of looks like it's a net but it's leather let's see what that one is by Bottega oh wow this bag is the best selling item in their collection oh huh. okay i would never have guessed it to be fair i'm not going to know i would never have guessed this particular bag by Bottega Veneta um would be the one that is the best um selling this large Andia, Andiamo. uh Andiamo. And the ammo bag, top handle bag, meticulously crafted from supple incarcito nappa leather with a sliding crossbody strap and a signature knot detail. Okay, this is the best selling bag at fucking Bottega Veneta. Big up, fucking uh, Mr. blasey He came in and completely changed things. Because I'm assuming before that the best selling item was those lug boots. Now it's this bag. Oh, look at how it fits. That's exactly how i want my um, telfar to look actually. I need to I need to redo the straps, but I want to wear it like that. That's exactly what I wanna go for. Wow. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Go back to the article. Twenty five such bags were produced, costing eleven thousand each, which Bergdorf got free and they sold immediately, says Mr. Fargo. At this stage said Mr. Penoir, Bottega is close to becoming the third largest brand in the group after just just after Gucci and Saint Laurent and vying Balenciaga. So Bottega Veneto is ba- is about to take over fucking um balenciaga what is that in sales let me read that again at this stage mr penoit partake is close to becoming the third largest brand i don't know what that means largest does that mean in sales turnover either way that's very impressive for a short amount of time he's been there even their most commercial pizzas are special mr fargo we're all in it mr blasi recently got his apartment in milan after surfing a series of airbnbs mr Mulder, now the creative director of a liar and mr blasi split up earlier this year oh that's a shame they are friends and share the custody of their dog called John. John, though the breakup is still too hard for him to talk about. Custody of a dog is hilarious, isn't it? But hey, um, the apartment at the top of the 1960 modernist building looks like a bit of a uh, houseboat inspired by Frank Lloyd Wright. Dark wood slanty ceilings with a step up and one side and a tiny balcony that covered in greenery. I walked in and I thought this looks familiar, and it turned out to be a re-renting uh, the same apartment that Mr. Simmons had rented a long time during the student's Square director, Joe Sander. Wow, he shares the flat during the weekend with Mr. Deposiere. They have a music planning meetings. No, they have music planning meetings in the kitchens late at night over drinks and more corporate meetings in the morning, looking over roofs of Milan and drinking coffee. Mr. Blasi often brings art from his house to his office and vice versa. He shot the most recent particular campaign in the courtyard of the apartment, featuring a Marie Carla, a Marie-Carla Boscono, and his very stoic-looking doorman lately he has been thinking about uh, nature i'm interested in fish can we look at the birds (laughs) okay cool and then one bit i also found really interesting in this bit was this section at the end it says he's styling his own shows now right he says last season he began styling his shows himself which he will do again this season i'd rather make my own mistakes he is glad that he took this time in stepping forward because now even if i doubt i know a question mark can become not just i don't know it can become an adventure Very curious, very interesting designer, interested to see how it develops and goes on. But the illuminating and interesting fact here is that Daniel Lee was always a problem at Pateka Panetta. There was always issues around him, high turnover, obviously that rumored incident with the racial slur in the meeting could be another reason. But one of the startling ones is the fact that Matteo or Mr. Blasi actually quit it sounds like or stepped down from his role at Bottega when Daniel Lee was there after the disastrous show at Detroit one of the worst ones that they put out or under Daniel Lee's tutelage so clearly it shows that he's a bit of a repeated offender to be fair um Daniel Lee but hey he's white so he gets plenty more re-opportunities than I would ever get in my life but anyway big up Mr Blasi excellent excellent interview in New York Times I'll put the link in the show notes for you if you want to check it out yourself I will put the show notes in the link for you if you want to check it out yourself I stumbled across this listing which has been updated now oh they posted an updated lineup of the pan night that's happening in Berghain at the end of the month I think that the October 28th if I'm not mistaken and the lineup has been Updated to feature none other than Skrillex. Oh, it's actually October. Sorry, October twenty seventh on a Friday, which usually the Fridays are usually a Panorama Bar only, which is the house room. But this time around, they're going to be opening it for Burger also, which happens usually on special events. So for the Pan for the Pan 15th anniversary for the record label party, they're going to be having Skrillex playing in the main room. That's going to be pretty fun because if you've seen any of Skrillex's sets recently especially the one that he did um, with Fred again and the other guy that looks like he hasn't slept in a million years. Um, If I'm not mistaken, he was playing a lot of, you know, a lot of party tunes. There was a set that he did recently at Dre Molin Festival, which I was meant to go to this year, but I'm going to go to next year for sure. And I missed that one, but he was playing back to back with Flipping Blauan of All People, which looks absolutely incredible. I've actually got some clips of that on my phone that I nabbed from people's Instagram, so I'm going to probably insert that into this little um, section when I clip this up later. but essentially you know he's a fun dj he can play the stuff that he obviously he makes which you would call a version of edm maybe it's like bass edm i don't know what it is but he's also not averse to playing just pure party tunes so it's going to be pretty cool to hear that sort of stuff played in berghain it's going to be interesting though because the last time that sort of stuff happened when who lsdxo xo was playing there he kind of upset a lot of Berghain people when he started playing all that sort of like party electro. um, I don't know. What would you call it? Euro trash pop edits type of stuff. Right. And people didn't really like it. Um, A lot of that, you know a lot of that Bergheim berlin scene are pretty serious and they don't really take too kindly to that fun instagram tiktok techno side of dance music so i'm going to be interested to see how that goes down especially when you marry up with some of the other people in the lineup right who are playing um the objects and stuff and whatnot and obviously as well you know my favorite person the person who kind of you know gave me the cold shoulder last time i was in Bergheim, but during that huxable these people, you know, you kind of expect them to play Won't say conventional dance music, but something that would probably match up better to Berghain than it would do to anywhere else. So that's going to be really interesting to kind of see when it does happen. So I might go and check this out. But as I said before, I'm going to go for the 14th because that's obviously an event. Um, that I really don't want to miss with the lineup that's on there but also it gives me a chance to go to Paloma Bar so I've got like two things I can hit at once so I need to decide if I can squeeze both of them in if I can I'll just jump over there and see while I want for one night and do like the thing that I've always wanted to do, actually. Maybe fly in on like a Thursday and then fly back out on a Saturday. So just come in and out sort of thing and see how it rocks because the Friday night doesn't, you know, roll into fucking Monday. It kind of usually ends um, Saturday morning and shit. So you've got time to kind of get home in the evening if they'd be, or maybe I'll fly on a Sunday. I'm not too sure, but I'll figure it out. So let's see if I can go do it, um, which would be smart, which would be pretty sick to be fair because it'll mean that I'll be able to go to, Berghain what like twice in one month I'll go on the 14th and I'll go on the flipping 27th so let's see if that happens but I'm really looking forward to it and then it also obviously reminded me a little bit of this recent feature that was on RA that featured the um, founder of Pan itself. It's a really good little interview there if you want to check it out. Bill Coligas um talking there to flipping um whatchamacallit, talking to RA. I loved how he cut his sweater shirt here. I'm not too sure if he cut this himself or if this is like a from a designer. I'm pretty sure it's from a designer. But imagine a sweater and he's basically cut what looks like a half moon into the sweater and then stitched um a t shirt or some sort of graphic, yeah, I guess a t shirt with a graphic on it underneath it. It looks pretty cool. So it, it makes like a pretty cool effect on the front. So let's maybe read through some of this RA article and see if there's anything we can pass from it that may give us an inkling on idea on what we might expect if we go to pan fifteenth anniversary on the twenty seventh of October in Bergheim. The quote When you engage with the arts in general, there is so much that you can take. I feel like almost a responsibility to give something back to it from my side. Oof that's a beautiful way to put it that kind of reminds me of when um that iron bonder of quote the founder of a new york thing of the owl gallery of no wave and all that good stuff i think he said like oh i want to leave my my notch on the creative timeline of new york it's quite cool in it and i love that also how he says here yeah, when you engage with the arts in general there is so much of it that you can take i feel like it's almost a responsibility to give something back from my side yeah um, explaining that the, impe- the um, impetuous for the impetus, sorry, for starting his own label in 2008, but in the process of establishing Pan, he took an unusual route, shrinking the traditional approach of releasing works from artists or orbiting like a centrifuge force around a specific sound. music Kulligas is just as erudite in speaking about artists like the breakout jungleist near Archives as he is on Remy um, Cuvez, an obscure French composer who plays the hurdy gurdy. If the first five years of Pan were defined by an atonal dissonance and improvisation. The next five were enrobed in in a heightened electronic influence, capturing in its folds a Regis post-Sandwall district collaboration, Concrete Fence and Russell Haswell. The last half decade is the most maximalist of the previous two movements in that it uncouples from traces of Berlin's underground and techno or UK club derivatives into sounds that seem increasingly impossible to place. Amnesia Scanners Cyberpunk, new Metal or Marine hurl up stratified wobbles beginning the best examples that's a really nice looking crib look at mostly vinyls right yeah there's part there's vinyls and magazines on these shelves and some cds and books and stuff but i do like how it looks it's kind of like done in a in this nice oak grid sort of style of a shelving unit it kind of looks similar to stuff i got here but this is just kind of basic like wood kind of panels but this is just it kind of looks like it's it's kind of drilled into the wood itself so into the side of the wall itself so it looks really cool it looks like the home of somebody that does own a label to be fair do you know what i mean you're meant to have all these references lying around house So you're meant to be able to make great works Um, It's only one thing in my head The same passion I have for music Is actually an appreciation of these creative ideas Of an artistic kind That all represent culture I read books in the same way I listen to records Oh, I love that He's got some good lines here, isn't he? He's got some good lines to make myself Seem way more intellectual and culture Than I actually am I'm going to rip that, mate I read books the same way I listen to records. I dance the architecture. I two steps of sketches. yeah i I love this i love that's a fucking amazing quote i'm gonna steal that let's continue here he says i was always like i always liked extreme cultures he said in the podcast in 2021 so anything that was far removed from the norm and i had people express themselves freely in their own world by dressing up or creating their parties whether i like the music or not i'd be there first row because that was how i felt also trying to exclude myself from society that i didn't fully belong boom that's me but if anything i don't come from the part of feeling excluded i come from the part of maybe feeling like i was not allowed to do things because i come from a very you know strict you know traditional african family and shit so you weren't really allowed to go out late you were not be allowed to go and hang out and stay over your friend's house there was sometimes we weren't even allowed to go to school trips you know what i mean which i don't blame my parents for because you know all those allegations around school teachers and stuff and stuff happening with priests and whatnot i'm kind of thankful my parents are like you know what you're not going away with any adults no way so thank you mom and dad for that but when it comes to going out and expressing myself and stuff, I had to wait until I was basically, you know, 18 and up until I was able to kind of start going to my raves and stuff and attending those things. And what I noticed is that I will just go out to anything i immersed myself in the art world i immersed myself in the design world i immersed myself in the interior design world as a period where i was just going to these amazing like open house type of things where people would be you know sharing off showing off sorry their interior design in the homes that they had maybe showing off inspirations and things that they were working on whatever right i'd go and see those type of things i immersed myself in skateboarding i immersed myself in flipping um techno and the dance scene the hip-hop scene um, loads of things I just kind of went there just so I can kind of absorb it all in real time and it was a great experience I'm not gonna lie I still do it to this day I love to just go to random things just to go and see what the vibe is like book readings all these and most of it's just because I was never really allowed to do it but mostly because I'm super curious to see with my own eyes I'm really one of those guys who kind of hates to kind of just go about what people say I want to experience it myself so if, if someone says oh this place is shit don't go I want to go to the shit place to see why people think it's shit it's the same reason why I've got this uh, you know urge to go and explore fucking Munich because whenever you go to fucking Berlin and you talk to somebody from the scene there they always badmouth in Munich and I know most likely we'll end up being like you know hanging out in a German version of fucking Essex I understand but I still want to see it for myself I still want to go to these places and experience a scene for myself hamburg munich all these places and just go and check it out because i'm sure it's not as bad as some of these berliners are saying and to be honest berliners are super spoiled right they have one of the best nightlife scenes in the world so clearly if nothing matches up to what they have they just think it's shit when really it might be way better than what we have right i always say that one of the worst kind of regarded clubs in berlin maybe like matrix bar or whatever right i don't think there's a single club in london that stays open as long as matrix not one i don't think there's i don't think there's many clubs in london that are as good as matrix which is weird because matrix is shit so it's like that's where we are at so people need to kind of temper their reviews based on where they're at and also understand that other people have different type of experiences and maybe what is good to you or shitty to you might be amazing to other people so let's just continue Let's go on here. You see a cool picture here of Mr. Kuliga's there. Kuliga's poured over a typography and graphics boss on sleeves, um, posters and presses and merchandise. I, d- I would imagine um, Mr. Kuliga's apartment isn't the best place for an afters, is it? He's got amazing, cool little trinkets and things all over the place, but I don't think he's a person that would openly open his house to like strangers to come and afters that he just met at a club because it's a nice apartment and he's got so many cool things that drunk and high people will just ruin by spilling stuff on or cutting up fucking ket on and shit (laughs) so in 2004 he moved to london and though he had a rudimentary grasp of english to get his m.a in graphic design in university of creative arts and moonlight as a session drummer also organizing tours and gigs for underground artists outside of school four years later then he decided to apply his knowledge to start a record label he enlisted the help of his friend um, rashad backer and then mastering and cutting engineer of dub place and mastering the facility associated with dub techno founder's basic channel um, Kooligas' first release was a split LP On his own electro-acoustic Music under his own um, Early 1000s um, alias Family battle, the results were esoteric To say the least uh, duh, duh, duh. You see a cool Picture here of Kooligas there in his t-shirt, looking amazing Again some cool I think are those sheets, I don't know Piece of typography maybe, it's what he spoken about earlier Again some great Vinyl there on the shelf you just got a really cool house in it. To be fair, some great pan tape, I guess, for when you're wrapping up um, labels to send them out, to um, vinyls to send them out. Um, we continue here. Shortly after founding the label, got moved to Berlin. The first winter was a minus twenty-two degrees Celsius. He's arrival in two thousand and nine coincided with the rise of wax treatment. You know what? That might be the same time I went to fucking Berlin the first time. It might have been around then. It might have even been twenty two thousand and eight, two thousand and seven. So big up him. Oh wow, we got a, we got a link. Me and Kooligas have a link here, I just read on. Shortly after founding the label, Kooligas moved to Berlin. That first winter, it was minus... 22 degrees Celsius. His arrival in 2009 coincided with the rise of Wax Treatment, the influential party formed by DJ Pete and Basic Channel's Mark Ernestus of the city's most famous record shop, Hard Wax. On the first Sunday of the month, Kuligas would venture into Kreuzberg to the venue Horst, to listen to the crossover dubstick techno exemplified by Shackleton, Apple Scuba Shed, and a potent Calisan sound system. Caribbean food was served in the garden. Wax Treatment's dedication to roots driven programming eventually became a facet of Kuligas's culture approach when he was invited by bergine to phrase own parties in 2012 that's pretty cool that's a short time in it from finding a label and being part of the scene in 2009 2012 that's why I probably as much as i don't like i wouldn't like to live in that city that's why you can understand why people go and move there in it it does really give your career a bit of a boost that you probably wouldn't get in any other place the guy arrived in 2009 and then by 2012 he was already throwing parties in Bergheim crazy. Um, I've gone to several pan showcases since moving to Berlin in 2017. One notable night was seeing Amnesia Scanner perform live on the Burgheim main floor in October 2018. I remember the debilitating effect of the strobe lights and being able to wade through the rushing, um audience. Eventually I too acquiesced to the sonic and pl- um, um, Then there was the post-pandemic open air in 2021 in Funk House, a remote cultural venue in the eastern fringes of the Spree. Attendees backstage climbed on to the platforms on the side of the booth roused into by crystal messes astute club selections that included jungle infected edit of ready or not by the fujus um kamik slow another label artist played his barbed wire reggaeton in the early evening of the boat dr oblique in the main venue is that guy playing kamik slow because imagine if you hear fucking bad bunny being smashed out in flipping Bergheim. okay it's not in the lineup but imagine that oh Yves Tumor actually is i'm looking forward to seeing what you Timo is going to sound like um in fucking panorama bar that's going to be a fucking vibe bro but yeah i'll imagine hearing bad bunny ringing through in fucking Bergheim. that'd be absolutely incredible i'm not gonna lie the quote here says when you're supposed to evolve there's an identity crisis is because you're afraid of losing something that's going to ground you um, i think it takes a lot of courage to keep being curious and move on for sure that's why i've been very resistant or resistant or whatever that fucking word is to post some of my pictures from my film camera because i feel like i take too long to develop them but then when i post them they kind of feel a little bit too throwback thursday ish and i don't want it to seem like when i'm posting pictures from my film camera like i'm longing for those days it's just because i i just got them published i just got them done not because i long for the days or i miss those people for the most part it's just a it's just like a snapshot in history but it does kind of feel like you are trying to relive an era where you were lit and now you're not lit anymore. So you're just posting these old things that you did to make yourself look cool. Well, that's not really the case, but that's the feeling I get. Again, it's always my own insecurities. It probably doesn't make any sense, but it's probably the same reason why I don't like to post too many of my books and stuff because I feel like I'm giving myself a little bit of a, you know, intellectual um you know hand job by posting the amount of books i read and the stuff that i'm into and shit because it kind of makes it seem like ooh i read books ooh i'm smart so it's like i don't know let's see what i do the panoply of genres across the labels catalog so that's a good thing about pan because of the eclectic you know artists they're basically associated with and who have they have on their label it's probably going to be a far more interesting crowd than any other night especially if it being a friday Yeah, it's gonna be really full. It's gonna be full of fucking hipsters and shit and trendy folk. But it's gonna be a much different crowd than what you're used to seeing in there, right? It's gonna be a little bit more, you know, a little bit more variety. There might be a few more different races in there, right? (laughs) If you get what I mean. The panoply of genres across the label's catalog and programming comes from Koolyga's insistence on shedding the layers of his projects that no longer evoke the cultural zeitgeist. Whenever I tried to dig deeper into the past, I was met with resistance. I don't want to get into nostalgic i love that about him i don't want to get too nostalgic he would say batting the air that's something that Kanye would do also so it's getting a lot of the fucking Kanye energy from this guy um with a well over two decades in music industry he remains exploratory, um not unlike the way that he floated across the subculture as a teenager i've seen him front row dancing to a gasolina edit bar at the biopic centric party um end route at the closed studios in christmas party to a beloved ambient listen set by queer and a position front right for dixon's innovation friends and family night at the cartoon primates tower in southern west berlin okay so he, he he's basic into all the stuff that i like that's pretty cool no wonder i've kind of drawn to pan as a label overall he's into all the stuff that i like like i've been to events where somebody's paying a gasoline to edit especially a bipoc centric party we've got loads of those here in london um i've been to i've I've seen dixon play many many a times i've been to some nice listening bars we've got a few here in london so me and billy kunigas are basically the same right but my label exists on soundcloud his one exists in the real world <laughs> that's the only difference yeah he looks really cool man he looks really fucking cool So um, I cannot wait to go to that event when it does happen, the Pan event there. Pictures courtesy of Wolfgang Tillmans, which is fucking awesome. That's an absolute flex, to be fair. To get a feature like this on RA and then to have Wolfgang Tillmans taking all the pictures is one of the baddest-ass things I've seen in the longest, 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 longest time. So big up him. And again, Pan, 15th anniversary happening 27th of October. Check in or check out. You know the deal. Check in or check out let's talk a little bit about this yeah have you seen this this is pretty crazy so yeah he's currently in Florence um living a life I've always said I think one of the things I would do when I finally do get fuck you money is just travel more that's one of my lifestyle things that I just enjoy I'm not really somebody that kind of goes out except for fashion I'm not really super materialistic I don't really care about cars I'm not really that bothered about having a fancy house I'd want something modest and shit but something I would really not cut any corners on is traveling staying in nice hotels going to eat nice restaurants taking walks going to galleries you know hanging out in clubs bars whatever I'd love to do that on like a somewhat you know monthly basis going to different places like how I'd go to my techno tourism little haunts whenever I'm here so When I see Ye and his wife Bianca Zanzori out in Florence in Italy living a life, it kind of makes me feel like, fuck, man, this is what I should be doing. And it's really fucking cool. And this particular picture that I'm showing you is immensely cool because it features um yay and bianca Censori in florence italy coming out of some sort of shop and a crowd a crowd gathers outside and yay decides to turn it into an impromptu photo shoot and he has all the people standing behind bianca Censori, the crowd um of people of fans or spectators or tourists and he has them all standing behind her while he stands in front of her and takes an amazing picture which is probably going to end up looking really great they might end up going on a piece of artwork for an album or something but it's just a cool little scene, a cool little impromptu project that he did while everybody was standing outside of the shop. Really fucking love it. Um, I love the fact that he has this uniform that he wears now every time he goes outside. He has his t-shirt over his head, like a mask. He wears all black. He's got his flipping flat ninja or shoes on because I guess he can't always have his feet out all the time. And then he also has a little bag that he has on with, I guess, some nicks and necks and whatever it may be. The one thing I'm interested about, yeah when it comes to the stuff he wears i know you can tell i'm into fashion right because bianca sensori is standing is standing there in this picture right looking immaculate right with her fucking tatters out and i'm fucking debating on the merits of kanye's outfit that's all black right <laughs> anyway one thing i've noticed about yay he doesn't like pockets on his pants in it because he's always carrying his iphone in his hand i guess it's a design thing that he prefers and he always has a very boxy kind of cut on his t-shirts that come just above the just below the waist i guess but he definitely doesn't like pockets on his pants i wonder why that is i would love for someone to ask him why don't you have pockets on your pants maybe that's why he carries this little side bag thing that he wears like a fucking high-end jd bag but there's no pockets he doesn't like pockets it looks like but still this is goals for me i love it um some people on social media are saying that this bianca woman is you know needs to be freed from yay because she gets used like a doll to take pictures and shit, but she's obviously involved. She's an artist herself. If I'm not mistaken, she's a fucking certified fucking architect or whatever, right? She was somebody that was working at Yeezy um, for the longest time. That's how these guys met in the first place. So it must be nice for him to, for once, be with somebody who is creatively empowered as much as he is. So you both get to do cool, fun things like these little photo shoots, which essentially this is no different to those couples on the internet who do fun little photo shoots with themselves, you know, going and wearing pairs of tabbies together or going and drinking some expensive coffee in central london this is just a heightened level of it because of kanye's celebrity but i thought the pictures were really cute you see some more pictures here of this improvised photo shoot and the funny thing about this photo shoot is that you could do this in florence but you definitely couldn't do this in india could you imagine bianca censori standing around doing this photo shoot in fucking india right they would rip every single piece of clothing off her body in 0.05 seconds (laughs) so big up yay for knowing where to pick and choose his battles and where to do these type of things because india would not it would not run it would not bang in india there's another picture here again with bianca sansori here and then another picture here of yay with his phone in his hand and the mask or the t-shirt mask thing covering his face which is pretty cool and i guess the cool thing about this is that once you sweat out your t-shirt you can maybe swap it right and have the t-shirt as a mask <laughs> so you have all your body all the over your face but yeah yeah he's out here not wanting to see his face and not wanting to be seen and obviously Bianca's out here being all the way seen that contrast is quite cool isn't it right she comes out with all her assets on show and yay covers himself up completely because he doesn't want to be seen but I also like the uniform, the everyday kind of uniform. So he doesn't have to think too much about what he's wearing because, you know, worrying about your drip every day is a full-time job, I'm not going to lie. Take that from somebody that cares about what they wear all the fucking time. And there's a video of it as well, pictures of them walking out of Florence, of the shop. It looks, like a, it looks like it might be a patisserie or something they're walking out of, because Kanye's got a bit of a sweet tooth as well, so it looks like it might be that. Or maybe it's a jewellery store, I'm not too sure. But yeah, here's them standing outside. He's instructing her where to stand, and he's taking a picture of her now, which is pretty cool. I love how everyone's moving. I love that when Yang does that. Like everyone's just moving. He's not even saying a word. He's just walking and they're moving. So he just walks, steps backwards. Everyone's just like, Kanye's here. Kanye's here. He kneels down like a good boyfriend, like a good husband, and takes an incredible picture for her. Gets the angles right. Gets the bag where it needs to be realizes going from the top to the bottom isn't good doesn't make you look great so now he's going to do from the top to the bottom nice little angle to get that looking amazing so yeah big up yay big up Pianka sensori living the goals this is what you're meant to be doing with fuck you money yay is kind of off the grid precisely living his life in italy recording music allegedly designing doing cool stuff and just living life and hopefully we get to see the results of all this stuff soon i'm assuming we'll get to see those shoes and the pants and stuff soon in the collection because he's clearly into this whole like minimalist um flat shoes where he gets to kind of feel every bit of the ground as he's walking i think so so i'm eager to see what that looks like um going forward but yeah yeah he's out here man bianca is out here too so big up both of them big up both of them two week old news but i thought i would mention it anyway um the legendary DJ Assault, right from the fucking you know legendary as as td's tune that most of you guys are familiar with if you've been out on the dance floor anytime soon and um, posted this screenshot on his instagram account that features an email he received from whore the legendary bathroom in berlin where everyone goes and plays essentially the the new age boiler room where careers are basically broken and some careers are birthed and um, he was obviously booked to play there and out of the blue someone from Hoard decided to email him and say hey well, you're not playing there anymore because we saw you post some dicey dicey memes and we don't want to have you play and it's an interesting debate around it because I didn't actually see the memes or the things that Hoard saw that would make them feel like DJ Assault wasn't an ally or wasn't somebody that could be trusted to come into their space or then they didn't align with their values I didn't see it when I browsed his Instagram page and you can do it yourself his Instagram account is DJ Assault number one DJ Assault number one all one word on Instagram you'll find him on there you just find loads of like you know for lack of a better term you know all, all respect to my elders you just find a lot of like boomer like memes and stuff That's all it basically feels like to me. Um, I didn't really understand why they would get offended by it, especially when it's somebody that is a, such a you know a founding member uh, of this scene of ours that we all enjoy a founding member of ghetto tech which i would think is incredibly popular over there in berlin specifically within a particular lgbtq crowd and stuff they seem to love that sort of stuff so it'd be very weird for them to kind of have a problem with having the person who maybe birthed the music or create the music that they're now profiting from or enjoying or they've basically based their entire lives from It just seems odd why they can completely kind of, you know, not involve him and say that he doesn't align with what they're about when they still play his music. That's the thing that doesn't really make sense to me. But anyway, he posted the caption as follows. It says Road 2 of Berlin v DJ Assault. We can play these games as long as you like. They tried to get the show canceled a few weeks ago in Berlin that I played. That didn't work. Now, naturally, I'm smart enough to get 100% of the fee up front. You can't hurt me. This is only hurt in the music scene and the club goers. I didn't know that was a thing you see that you see that's quite awesome I didn't know that was a thing that you could get your DJ fee up front if you just like press them if they really want you they'll give it to you oh yeah that kind of reminds me of six nine and Steve will do it beef that's happening at the moment Steve will do it formally or still part of the Nelt boys and six nine the rapper that you guys all should know they got having a bit of beef at the moment And i think it stems from essentially steve will do it arranging a deal with rumble the live streaming platform for him and six nine to stream together and you know the deal was in the millions of dollars and stuff and he agrees to the deal everything's good six nine agrees to join steve will do it on streams um on rumble um, to fulfill that deal and to get paid but then unbeknownst to steve will do it six nine reaches out to rumble and manages to get however much he's meant to get paid let's say two million he manages to get that in full from Rumble, and then, of course, six nine being a rapper that he is didn't follow through the promise and didn't do the deal or didn't do the flipping um what he was what he agreed to do with rumble and now steve will do it, is in debt of however much money that fee was whether it was two million three million whatever doesn't matter and what i was surprised by was like he was able to get that money from rumble without delivering on any of the agreements that they had beforehand and usually when it comes to DJing from my experience even when i played in clubs or i played in small bars you usually get your money after the fact even if it's in cash you usually get it when you finish your set or if you have to do an invoice you send it after The fact so the fact that some people can get DJ fees ahead of time is pretty sick, but I guess it obviously applies to certain caliber of DJs. You can probably get 50% up front and stuff. Um, and if you're an artist who's balancing but you know who's jumping, who's living from gig to gig, having that fifty percent up front can be a real game changer and can allow you to sort of like you know, sometimes maybe even go to your gigs or maybe pick up a cheeky eight ball before you start. So I get that, but that's still surprising to see that he was able to do that. But big up him, regardless. You can't hurt me, this is only gonna hurt the music scene it continues here and goers the venue list is below fuck them and all their way family members i'll never um bow down to the work bs so this isn't whore whore didn't pay him it's a, another venue called Zena in berlin they're the ones that paid him up for 100 the fee and then later on cancelled the dj booking because of whatever they must have saw online then whore followed up the same week i guess and also cancelled his dj appearance over there and they read an email that said the following hi craig i hope this message finds you well I've over the past few days we've received feedback and concern from our community and the venue regarding specific content on your social media platforms as an organization committed to promoting exclusivity and diversity we take such concerns seriously because i'm sorry and believe it is essential to address them in a responsible manner imagine saying this to a black person who founded ghetto tech <laughs> this only happens to black straight men by the way i don't know if DJ So is straight i'm just going to throw it out there maybe he is but you don't see this happening to any other, um, you know, uh, demographic in the dance music scene. It's one of those weird things that exist in the dance music scene that people don't really talk about a lot, especially even in Berlin. There's definitely a um, there's definitely a difference in the way you get treated out there if you're like a if you're like a black if you if you're like a black guy that looks like Eve's Timor, or if you're like a black boy that you know looks like a kid from Top Boy. You probably won't get into a lot of parties over there. You kind to like kind of, you know, funk it up for them a little bit. You know what I mean? It's really annoying. It kind of something that always grates me, especially when I'm queuing up to go to clubs and stuff. And I see, you know, what I would deem to be regular looking black dudes not getting in at certain clubs because they don't have a certain look to them. You know what I mean? It's just annoying. It just really is annoying. Our responsibility to ensure that our events aligned with our values and principles After careful consideration. We have decided to cancel the booking for your DJ performance at our event on September 23rd the interesting thing though about horror in general i'm not sure if this is um something specific to berlin as a scene there definitely is a lack overall of black djs playing there especially male djs i don't think there's a lot you might see the odd girl here and there but there's not a lot of like black dudes playing on that station i wonder why it is maybe it's the lineups as well because i remember that being a thing i was speaking about before about fold and stuff like i wonder if it's just that people that look like me don't actually play that type of music which is always annoying right when you go to these type of places and you get booked and stuff and no one knows who you are like most people don't know who i am and you rock up they don't think you're going to be playing the, the tunes that they like and they get nervous they think you're going to step up and start playing fucking i don't know future and i piano and um, you know and fucking emma honcho and shit right they get really scared and then you'd go on there and you start playing everything that they obviously know and love and stuff that they haven't heard of and suddenly they're like trying to suck your dick and it feels really patronizing you're like go fuck yourself Do you know what I mean? you want to tell them to go and fucking you know stick their smiles up their asses but you want to be fair and say that maybe it's not their fault because you know in the scene that they're in there just isn't a lot of people that look like me that will play that type of music so i get it but when it comes to djs so that's a different thing Do you know what I mean? he's a fucking legend i mean this is not me playing for like 50 euros in the fucking dive bar this is a person that essentially has birthed and created an entire scene that all these guys and girls are somewhat profiting from right the work that he kind of put in back in the day is probably the reason why a platform like whore even exists so the fact that he can't play because he posts some cheeky dicey you know whatever memes on social media is insane unless the memes were actually offensive if they were just jokes and they were just a bit of banter or whatnot i don't see how that's an issue and also considering how important social media is to booking people i find it really odd that they would book him and not have and not do any due diligence not even look through his social media feed and shit which tells you everything about the scene right they make it seem like oh get your social media in order it's really important have your mix done a certain way send labels there's all this shit right but really the truth of the matter is If your song bangs, everyone will sign it. You know, when your song bangs, everyone's going to sign it. If you're a good DJ, eventually, if you play enough, people will notice you, recommend you, and you'll get signed to a booking agency. It's not about sending things to people, do you know what I mean? And if you've got enough clout, people like Whore will obviously reach out to you or you'll get put in contact with them to do a set. That's basically how it actually works because these guys didn't do any due diligence, no research. They didn't kind of, you know, vet him in any way. They just booked him because he's a legend. And then when they checked his Instagram or when they were sent specifically posts from his Instagram from their community, they got scared and canceled him i don't really blame whore i blame the fucking narcs that were tagging them and taking screenshots of his posts and sending them in you have to be a real loser to post those type of things to a platform and say he can't play here blah 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 you have to be a real fucking loser to do that a real bona fide loser to take screenshots from instagram and send them to a label a flipping radio station a sponsor whatever it may be a brand and try and get people cancelled because you don't like something that they post on instagram especially a meme do i mean if it's like him on on video you know fucking preaching hate to a certain group of people fair enough different conversation but if it's just him posting fucking silly little memes boomer memes facebook fucking memes right stuff that you would find on um what's that fucking dj page on facebook that everyone fucking likes all that sort of shit why are you that offended it's not that deep i don't get it um but I wonder if it's just something that they're trying to do going forward. They want to just, you know, remove themselves from any dicey situations, which is a shame really, because I like Hall. I think it's still one of the better live streaming platforms out there. And I really am eager to find out, you know, when my turn will finally come to play at that place. I did have a slight opportunity to play there during the pandemic. Um, I kind of got in there early, I think, when they maybe launched, and I had some good emails back and forth, initial ones. And then I think, as I kept as I kept delaying and emailing them back, my fault. Like a couple of days would go by, obviously. Then the demand for them to have certain people there go went up, and then suddenly I wasn't getting replies back anymore. That was a really sad thing, to be fair, because it did look like I had the opportunity to go and play there, but after a while, it went. It kind of went radio silent, and I'm not really somebody to chase, so I just kind of left it. But again, these things are, you know, by the by, as soon as you get them as soon as you get a bit of clout someone's going to want to let you play there so i'm sure my time will come so let me actually check the comments and see what people say because i'm still don't know what the meme was i want to know what the meme was but let me see the comments and see what people said uh big up my guy he valencia he said these people man the thing about being a black man with liberal and leftist spaces is that if you say the right words you're a poc But if you talk loud or you're just another man, this scene is run by people who use a virtue signaling to reinforce the same old system racism. Exactly. That's something I've noticed a lot going to all these events. I go to queer, you know, events led by queer people, events led by LGBTQ plus people, events laid for the gays by the gays. You realize quite often that being a black straight male in these spaces, you do come across like an absolute animal, like, maybe you are run fair enough but people don't really treat you the way you would think you'd be treated in these spaces you're kind of the enemy in a weird way or they're kind of expecting the worst from you Then, if you're cool then it's fine but you don't really get open you don't really get welcomed with open arms it's a very interesting space that's why when you see a lot of these events where they say oh it's a BIPOC lineup they usually mean just BIPOC in terms of like women or females or whatever right they don't really mean it with men at all it's not to do with men especially if you're not straight um, especially if you are straight sorry so that's a really unfortunate side of this whole um inclusion thing that we have going on at the moment in representation. As great as it is, especially in London, I always say, you know, the best parties come from that community of people because they don't really you know, they don't tend to kind of go for the easy peasy bookings or they go for the bait spaces. They have really cool production. Like I think of stuff like Inferno, right? They spend a lot of money putting on that show. They have fucking performers performing. They have loads of artwork. They have, you know, just mad madness goes on in there and it's just a basically a club night but they obviously invest a lot into it so those are usually way funner than going to a fucking standard night in fabric but you do you know feel like as a straight black dude walking into spaces you do feel like you are stepping into a space where people naturally will have their back up against you uh, or their back up when you come in they'll be on tender hooks and you know you're definitely not super welcome but you're also not told to fuck off you know it's kind of a weird space you occupy it continues here let me just read some other comments um can an outspoken black artist with a massive discography in the name of exclusivity has to be one of the most funniest plays of all time the levels of clown world just keep reaching higher and again i don't blame um whore i think it's more so the snitches that did this because they had to act afterwards right because they kind of probably felt like the whole internet was saying this thing where it wasn't if was probably just a small minority fair but you know there still needs to be a little bit more of a people need to need to just hold down people that founded you know certain things i just think certain people should just be you just you should occupy a space if you're the person that's responsible for crafting this music that we're a cool kind of profiting and enjoying from you shouldn't be you know judged on the parameters that some of us regular folks are because you're the one that founded this shit you, you should just you should be in a in a privileged position in that regard but maybe i'm in the minority by saying that because it sounds crazy um another person's here says why are they doing this sorry i'm out of the loop um let's see what people say to reply because i also want to know what the exact meme was because I, I, I can't see it okay we don't want to. we don't want to check this guy's profile please don't let's see i'm guessing because of some of the lyrics on his song seems very weird now it's more to do it's more so the wild so okay here's why he said it it's more so the wild ass stance on posting fascist right-wing memes the fox news tip oh come on bro you can't post memes about that shit Is he saying it's his opinion though? You can't post a meme about Donald Trump or about what's that thing called? um, Pepe the Frog and shit because you're going to be seen as a fascist or a right winger. The scene is fucking lame, bro. So fucking lame. Everyone is so fucking pussified. It's incredible. And the funny thing about it is that I would would wager some of our biggest, most illustrious, well-regarded artists and DJs in the scene. Probably hold some very dicey political views and opinions. I bet you, especially the ones who come from wealth, especially the ones who've been rich for a while. You know, because money does change a lot of people's political and ideological beliefs. So it would definitely stand, you know, to reason that those guys and girls at the top echelons, even the ones that play at all the coolest clubs. If you had to sat them down in private and ask them some some things, you know, if you if you ask them what they think of Taiwan and shit, they might have some very interesting replies for you. Um, anyway, it continues. Now, it's more to do with the wild our stance on posting fascist right wing memes and Fox News tidbits about the government. Not saying people don't have opinions and my views may differ greatly from the source on that matter. The fact that we can't have a conversation on both sides have polarized true progress by communicating, um, by communicating is a strong testament that system is not working. Exactly. So that's basically why he got cancelled because he was posting some Fox News and allegedly fascist right wing memes on his Instagram Pfft. absolutely stupid another person says um not like right with rhetoric sorry oh so you're you're so oh so you're right not like right wing rhetoric burning merchandise from companies making books legal but yes please keep saying one side does yeah true okay well, that's a back and forth I don't want to get involved in um what, what it was and what it was become lamentable, another says I can't believe these Berlins are centering you but I'm so grateful for these Germans because it proves America is sort of fresh, okay cool um, are you out here saying wild shit and I'm not seeing it like your name is DJ Assault and your biggest song is Ass and Titties and they're booking you in the first place, who the fuck is in charge of this ad, <laughs> exactly true, promoting exclusivity and diversity unless you're different from them exactly, exactly Um, And just forget all that shit Just forget that shit Just him, DJ Assault He's a fucking legend, how dare you Yo, Germany's going through some real crazy times right now, bro Like the whole country's caught up in this ideological mess that's hardly makes sense to regular folks. Smart people are actually packing their bags and leaving because of the nonsense. I don't think that's true. That's probably a stretch. People aren't leaving because of, you know, DJ so getting, you know, cancelled to go and hope and so let's, let's relax. Speaking the truth is a crime now. If you're not part of the specific group, they silence you. It's wild. Divide and conquer is a name and agenda. I don't know what scubulity you're talking about. Okay, this whole people feeling like they're martyrs and like they're fucking malcolm x because they're not allowed to say certain things on social media also needs to relax okay let's just temper it both sides are freaking out but let's not go around thinking we're fucking martin luther king yeah i mean it's not that deep um another one says have you not heard your music before i truly don't know what they're referring to cowardly behavior to call out specific issue they have and leave it vague no i think he knows why they they cancelled him it's just not a kind of legit reason enough to cancel someone like him because again he's a fucking legend but hey um dj assault got canceled from whore um again maybe speaks to the overall you know vibe in the scene at the moment maybe who knows let's see how that kind of rolls on and hopefully it gets sorted in the end and i hope this isn't like a kind of band that he's going to now kind of feel from berlin overall hopefully this is just like a specific thing a one-off occasion maybe they've spoken about it behind the scenes who bloody knows moving on we've got this interesting news courtesy of hypebeast regarding mischief they're actually going to do their first actual legit collab with an actual footwear brand so after all the what the astro boy boots and the upside down boot backward boot all this sort of nonsense they're doing the horrendous um kid cuddy shoes that are going to be coming out as well they've now the decided to do the best collabo that they probably offered to them Reebok unfortunately it's not Nike it's not whatever um, because they probably see them as competition Reebok are the only one that are willing to take the chance on them and I've got to be honest pretty cool right you've got a um, pump Omni zone uh, sorry a wild pump Omni zone um, shoe here and it's got the pumps actually littered all over the top which I really like and I love I love the little suede hit here on the mudguard the color is actually pretty understated for what mischief are known for doing um but i do like them i'm not gonna lie would i wear them day-to-day probably not but i think as a final product they are done very well Like big up for mischief for like you know trying something interesting trying something decent or different especially for the model you don't really see many people wearing uh Reebok pumps in the slightest even though they don't make them as much probably before that's probably why but uh decent retro very you know, legendary shoe, a lot of history connected with streetwear and sneakerheads and hip hop and whatnot. If you know your information, you know your information. I love that some of the pumps, sorry, some of the balls, the pumps on the outside have mischief and the pump as well featured on it, which is really cool. But the suede here is lovely, man. It's very, very plush looking the gray suede that kind of extends from the mudguard all the way back to the hill tab. And then on the back of the hill, you've got boing, boing, boing. And it also comes in a white um, and kind of sky blue leather colorway looking at it now i actually would have preferred if the blue was an icy kind of clearer sole that would have been quite sick but it's just a white with a blue sole with the ball basketballs in the more traditional color as well they look fairly okay but obviously the first color is definitely the banger and the standout one these will look incredible with shorts actually look they actually look like they got little little flipping bumps all over the minute like you're wearing a pair of shoes that look like they've got fucking um chicken pox and shit but i do like how they look To be honest, i'm not gonna lie i'd wear the fuck out of these to be fair they look really really cool and so let's see high pieces right up for that they said when joe Budden encouraged audiences to pump it up in 2003 he wasn't talking about the wild pump omni zones and um, collaborations from mischief and Reebok, but he might as well have been there's never been a shoe like it was a pump or blur it's inherently playful nature aside the mischief Reebok pump is bursting with the seams of unique details arriving in a faux aged sun bleached colorway and the classic white blue and orange makeup that co creates sneak features alternating brands on the pump units some read the pump and others read the mischief besides the balls bouncing the shoes also feature boing boing and boing boing technology if you're looking um to get a bounce on both colorways of mischief and Reebok's release and mischief website on the sneakers app via 24-hour draw on the 27th of september each pair is $250 though $250 god damn son i don't know how much worth it they are for 250 though this colorway is fucking beautiful this bleached what what do they call this colorway um the sun bleached aged one is the best that suede is so good that looks really lovely i'm not sure if it's a suede or just a nubuck that's been brushed but whatever it looks really supple it looks really soft um, the leather looks amazing. The retro itself looks like in good shape. There's no crazy banana foot toting on the front. It's just a really nice retro and a very nice colorway. So yeah, 250 is a lot. That's fairly steep for more information okay cool so you see it there mischief and Reebok launching in the 27th if you've got the coins get them if you've got the coins get them have something different from the usual shit that you usually see people wearing and just freshen up and mix up your wardrobe man come on man try something new try something fresh talking about the opposite of new and fresh i have to mention these because i'm so hyped on these if you had to ask me what my favorite Um, air jordan is it has to be the jordan 4 my favorite air jordan ever has always been a jordan 4 and it's mostly because it looks more similar to one of my favorite nike sneakers of all time the nike air trainer one originally designed by none other than tinker hatfield for me whenever i look at jordan 4s i see the best version of a training shoe sorry of a cross training shoe maybe if the if the tongue was a bit shorter similar to the undefeated it would work but i think the jordan 4 in terms of a shape in terms of it kind of you know coming up to your ankle in terms of support on the heel in terms of how flat the outsole is and in terms of how comfortable they are i think they would be the perfect cross training shoe because they've been fairly influenced by the original chlorophyll nike air trainer ones from back in the day so i'm a big fan of it of jordan 4s <clears throat> but over the years jordan 4s haven't got the same level of love in terms of retro attention to details other models like the ones like the sixes like the sevens like the threes even though they still keep pumping out colorways i feel like the shapes of them have been terrible when i got the is it was i think i got the defining moments pack was the first time i bought a brand new pair of jordan four breads before that all my ones were always worn so when i got the jordan four breads the defining moments pack one of the things that really upset me was the fact that the jordan fours i thought the shape-wise were really horrible it wasn't that great and i remember because i was so obsessed with checking out pictures or looking at old ebay listings or flipping jordan fours from like the what the 90s or 80s or something right um some of them were the midsole or the yeah the midsole was already crumbling because the polyurethane would crumble over time if you don't look after it or whatnot um so i'd be buying those thinking i wanted to buy those to do a soul swap or something but whatever i remember just thinking look at the shape of the vintage Jordan 4s compared to the ones that are available to buy nowadays and the vintage ones what happens that the shape would be almost like a triangle. at the front it would be really pointy it'd be really flat and it wouldn't be none of this kind of odd banana foot thing that happens with most nike retros but one thing that really used to anger me was that adidas somehow figured out a way to make all these old shoes retro again to the perfect Specifications of when they originally first came out. You look at the campus 80s, you look at the uh, superstars I have, you look at the flipping ZX's, they've all been made exactly to spec to some of the vintage stuff. They'll get vintage shoe and they'll basically deconstruct it um, and then basically build it from the ground up and remake it again. Nike's excuse for that was that the tooling was really expensive, the mold was really expensive. But if you're a multi billion dollar company and you're wanting to fleece Nike, you know, sneak ahead for, for everything they own, give us good products like i would much rather take right um the same amount of retros but double the price if i know they're going to be high quality leather and they're going to be great shapes right they're going to absolutely be faithful to the original but they don't they give us the bare minimum and because sneakerheads in general just want to buy the newest thing all times and don't really have any you know they don't really have any scruples about what they buy especially light pieces and resellers and shit they just keep churning it out Well, everything has changed. Nike are going to do, or Jordan brand are going to do a reimagined one, which they did before. Now they're going to do it on the Jordan 4s. They're already going to reimagine it on the 3s. They're going to do a Jordan 4s now, my favorite bread colorway. And look at the shape of these bad boys. Look at the shape. The picture's a bit mad, but I think it's been ripped apart and this stuff had to get with sellotape. But this allegedly is a leaked picture of the Bread Jordan 4s reimagined. So they've made them to the exact specifications to when they originally came out. And the shape is fantastic. Even the leather, because I think I remember seeing an old school Bread Jordan 4, maybe it was like from a Japanese, um, a Japanese consignment store or something. I remember seeing one that had tumbled leather. But I haven't seen one since then in a long time. Like a tumbled leather Jordan 4 or like a, a leather that's very supple, very soft. because you know you don't really get Jordan 4's breads in leather. They usually come in suede. That's the ones that I have I've had over the years. So the fact that they've got that in this colorway, um, obviously with this leather, it looks incredible. The shape of it looks fucking banging. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Jordan 4 SBs that came out, the white with the pine. But that shape looks so good. I cannot wait to get these in my hands when I originally go out. And you can even tell, look at this right this is the original original, the reimagined one and if you scroll down to kicks on fire it shows you a version of Jordan Force from 2019 and you can see here the shape is weird look at the front of that shape look how long that toe box is look how flat the laces are there and the same goes for this which is one I had I had one of these right this is um I think this is a kid's one, but still, you can still see the the shape is off at the front, right? It's really long. It's really long all the way through here. Whereas the ones, the OGs, what they're based on, they usually have a bit more of a shorter toe box length here. And they're a little bit more of a triangular type of shape. And they're a bit flat here on the toe box. So they're meant to be coming out soon. Um, This is an article, Kirti of Kicks on Fire, they say. The high anticipated Jordan 3 cement reimagined releasing earlier this year reports surface of another classic Jordan sneaker being reimagined. The Jordan 4, um, reimagined will come constructed out of premium leather. Um, instead of the usual new buck construction we've seen on the originals and the past retro versions. Although not unveiled, unveiled yet, the Jordan 4 Bread Imagine also expected to come with a Nike Air brand on the hills, which we always love as sneakerheads. Current reports suggest that we see the Jordan 4 Bread Rear Ranger drop February 17th. Fuck, you know, it's that long away they been leaking for ages february 17th during All Star weekend for retail practice for 15 the date will be also celebrate michael jordan's 61st birthday so a complete guide on official photos releases blah blah blah, blah. so yeah um following initial shot more and the images have been thing we see the images so we see a picture here on the side of the jordan 4 we also see another one on the instep that that shape is fucking perfect. I don't care what anyone tells me. They look so beautiful, and we see another shot as well of the four foot. And like I said, they've been ripped apart and then sewn back together. I'm not too sure it's because the Chinese factories are breaking these down and remaking them, because that's what they do, right? Like you see on Nike tab, they'll buy legit pairs and then just break them down and get the molds remade so they can m- remake the fake fake ones, which is why some people in the rep community argue that reps aren't actually reps because they're usually based on the real thing you know that's what people always say because they just get the real thing and they deconstruct it and then build it up from the ground up so maybe that's the case but I'm looking forward to seeing them these are some unofficial pictures they're not really real of the actual product but i think the ones we saw above are maybe more close to what they're going to be like in terms of shape and it's another example again of old um, jordans as you can see here look at the shape look at how high this is in the middle from where your forefoot would be right on the inside to so the top of your foot to the bottom of your foot that little distance there is way higher than it is on the other ones it's not as flat your foot sits a bit higher up they look really good. They look like the ultimate training shoe. And a lot of kids used to wear them back in the day to skate in as well. Um, one of my favorite Jordans of all time. Like if you had them tell me to pick, Jordan 4s are the ones. And I cannot wait for the reimagines to come out. So they'll be similar to what you see there in this old vintage photo from the, I guess, 1980s and shit. So yeah, looking forward to seeing them when they originally, when they do eventually drop. But February is fucking crazy time in it. February. Bloody hell, man. Bloody, bloody, bloody hell. So we did that we did that February There was also rumors I saw online which I'm sure are not true about the Tom Sachs general purpose shoe um, it's the only, it's the latest shoe. No, it's the last shoe, actually, that Tom Sachs officially released before getting, you know, basically fired from Nike because there were reports, um, that came out, that courtesy, I think, of Grub Street or something that he was a bad boss and a bit of a bully and maybe hurt people and stuff, which should be expected, right? Just look at Tom Sachs for goodness sake. You would have known that he wasn't going to be all shun, 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 shun. shun. Oh yeah, and there was this last news to talk about. So there was a bit of news bubbling up on my side of Twitter regarding sneakers and regarding the Nike General Purpose shoe. And the story was that these are going to come back out again, right? In this sort of like reggae, reggae colorway, I would call it, right? With the white, with the yellow swoosh and the green heel tabs and or pull taps, Sorry, there were some rumors that they were going to come back out, which was surprising to me because Nike made a big kerfuffle out of cancelling and distancing themselves from Tom Sachs after that um, article came out. I think on street basically detailing that tom Sachs isn't the most warm and cuddly boss which should be no surprise to anybody when you take one hard look at the guy but i would afford for the success of tom Sachs and his collaborations with nike they would make some exceptions they'll turn a blind eye and they'll keep churning out these shoes because they are money in a bank and they are fucking fantastic and selfishly i want a pair of those Marzias rubberized that were meant to be coming out where testers got a pair and we never saw them they're annoying if they don't get them i have to go to fucking shenzhen and get like an unauthorized fake pair to go wear them because i fucking want a pair of those shoes again to wear because like i always say they're one of the most complimented sneakers i've ever had in my entire life like no one compliments me for my sneaker choices because usually i've got very eclectic let's say choice in sneakers but the Marzias, the original ones the two point or the one you know one point and the 2.0 were some of the only shoes i got a lot of compliments from normie from they really like them and i really like them too because i was super versatile and worked with more outfits same goes for the general purpose shoe i went to jump on that hype and get involved but then since top has left it's hard to get new ones now because they're not bringing out any more new ones so when i saw this news that they were going to bring out this particular colorway um i was really excited right but it's an oregon friendly color, but allegedly that's not going to be true it's just like a rumor that was put out there but i don't think they're going to change their mind even though i'm somebody that says you know you can let fucking tom Sachs throw as many moleskins at me as he wants if that means i'm going to get a pair of his shoes because i think you know most people with common sense would have known that tom Sachs was a bit of a nutty guy but you make it work because you know the work's going to be amazing but you know nike want to get on their moral high horse and whatever it may be and fire him and now that without all the monies in the bank that would have come from selling this amazing shoe that everybody is loving which i would have loved also um really amazing shoe nice to wear and again i think it fills a void because it's kind of like similar to like a i mean not like a is it a lava dome or lavar i forgot which one i have the acg one but it kind of fills that void of having a shoe that maybe isn't as uncomfortable as that shoe but you can wear day in day out and it's very versatile when it comes to outfits and stuff. So I would have liked to have seen it. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen. I don't think, I think those allegations against Tom Sachs and Grub Street were just too you know um, toxic um, for them to kind of get near but the article here on sneaker news says as follows um, given the controversy surrounding the man himself it's no surprise that nike craft came to the screeching halt but despite the announcing that they would be distance off from the artist, it appears as which could be in talks with sax as a brand new colorway has just surfaced with official image online so it's official official images via nike so i wonder if i don't think there's going to be him collaboration If I, if Nike is to be believed on how they deal with things, most likely they signed a deal where he got a fee. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think the shoes coming out is dependent on him. Nike probably still owned the IP, so they have all these shoes that were due to come out. Instead of destroying them, they're going to sell them but they're not going to have him do any activations he's not going to get any pictures he's not going to get any pairs to send to his friends he won't be able to do a cool instagram fucking thing with it unless he buys them himself uh, that is so i think they're just going to put out what they have left so maybe this is the last colorway um that'll be sad if it is but this might be it because they are official images i just clocked they are in it even the layout and they look like yeah they're official nike images um we've only freestyles um, making their way to the shelves. Numerous iterations of the Nike General Purpose shoe have surfaced over the course of the year. This includes the pair pictured here, whose colorway primarily consists of a neutral tones alongside a black and outsole, laces, and heel tabs. And the shoe features the upper made of white mesh unders and tan suede overlays. Colors in this relegated really to swoosh with port tabs, which are dressed in university gold and pine green. Enjoy the closer look, detailed look of Tom Sachs' General Purpose shoe at the time of writing it is unconfirmed where this club is releasing. So we don't know. We don't know, but it's looking encouraging because it's official Nike images. So let's see what happens. Again, a big shame that this collaboration was cancelled. Same way the easy one was cancelled. I think they could have weathered the storm and still have those two people on their brands. But hey, it kinda is what it is. And I guess they've got two big holes now they have to fill. No pause are needed to kind of make sure they put out product. So I wonder what who Nike's gonna replace Tom Sachs with. And I'm also wondering who 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 Adas is going to replace Yeezy with um, the Tom's maybe the Nike one Tom Sats going forward maybe they could just do it with um, Aaron Presson he's basically molding his career kind of like in his direction right so maybe a good way to kind of replace him would be getting you know Heron involved i think he would do some interesting stuff over that nike if given some resources and shit and it was obviously he's used to working with them because he legitimately used to work for them um so that might be something that will make sense who knows let's see what happens going forward i wish i could get a pair i really like that shoe one of my favorite shoes but hey tom Sachs decided to throw moleskins and you know, Stabilo boss's highlight. Stabilo boss highlight is that his assistants and shit in the studio. Nike didn't like that, and it did himself. Whereas I say, he can throw one at my nuts, mate. If I'm gonna get those rubberized Mars yards, but you know, I guess it's not happening. I guess it is not happening. What can you do? What can you do? So that is it for the Excellent Zing Show episode number 708. Thanks so much for tuning in and having this good time with me. I enjoyed it and I hope you enjoyed it too. If you listen via the audio podcast, you'll hear my true of the day coming underneath my voice. If if you're on the youtube video side of things you want to hear nothing but if you do want to communicate with me you want to check me out and stuff all my links are available in the description also a link to the patreon i've got a new episode of the patreon up there talking about chrysalia oh sorry russell brand not Lea. so if you want to um see what i say about russell brand then make sure you check over my patreon for as little as one dollar you can join on there and get access to all my posts on there but until then my friends thank you for tuning in for a pleasure not a chore i'll see you guys again soon Peace.